Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching! <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI... Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> and edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music, or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins. Hey, Dave. Hey, one quick thing to say before Jess jumps in. <laughs> happy block. Happy block, Matt. And Jess, happy block to you too. No, uh, no, no. Well, actually, if, if Matt had just let me jump in, what I was going to say was happy block. <laughs> happy block. Oh, my gosh. What are the odds of that? Beat you to it, Bob. Beat you to it. Fucking piece of yeah, shit. Yeah, got ya. Piece of shit. No. I well, tradition states that uh, the oldest man in the room <laughs> is the first to wish happy block. That's true. Well, I reckon there's people at home asking two questions. Number one, what isn't block in October and it's the end of September? And number two, what the hell is block? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Few questions, um, but we will not be answering them. So <laughs> Jess, I'd love to hear you try and answer it because I don't know if I can fully explain it. I know it's the third year of Block. Yes. And Block started, well, three years ago um, where, okay, um, 
So what we did was we got people to vote on the topics they wanted to hear. We we sort of make block a big blockbuster. See, that's what, kind of what we're thinking. Um, oh, blockbuster Toba. Blockbuster Toba. That makes sense. There was also Blockbuster Topher Grace in there for a while as yeah. well. Block Topher Grace period, I think it was at one point <laughs> known as. Yeah. It's a confusing title, but basically we open it up. I mean, we all, all of our topics or most of them are requested by listeners. These ones are voted on by um, people who listen. And so it's sort of the most requested big blockbuster topics. Yeah, um, so I put together a short list, which I didn't even count them up, but it looked like there was probably 100 topics on there. Insane. And they were all from either recent suggestions specifically for Blocktober by patrons or just the most frequently requested topics in the hat and then put them all up to the vote. And October this year has only got four Wednesdays and we release the episodes on Wednesdays Australian time. But we thought... Let's annex that 30th of September. It's basically October anyway. So, so close. From now on, or at least this year, September 30th is known as October Zero. <laughs> and uh, that means we get to do five block topics this year. And this is the first one we're going to do today, and it is my topic. So it's the fifth biggest, most requested, most voted for topic of the year. And each week they only get bigger and more requested. Because you got thousands of votes, didn't you, Matt? Yeah, the thousands of votes. Uh, it's, I think it's the world's biggest music democracy, I think, is what <laughs> it's known as. No, it's Hottest 100, isn't it? Um, but this is much like that, only not music. And yeah. probably a fair bit smaller. This is the world's biggest blockbuster Tober-related event. Yes, that's yes. Right. The flagship. Absolutely, yeah. I'm pretty sure anyone who was confused before is probably... Right on the page with us now. Uh, <laughs> that all made quite a lot of sense. It's the five yeah. most requested topics of the year, almost. Yeah, we sh- I, when I asked Jess, I should have asked Dave. Yeah, you know. what were you thinking? <laughs> Let's get Jess to do it. The one who talks good. You do it for a living, Dave. I don't, I don't, Dave's I don't like know a... how I do it for a living. <laughs> you do it on the. You're a radio presenter. This is your job. Dave's job is sitting in a booth in a dusty room. <laughs> Looking at videos for Friday funnies to tell Peter Hellier about, as far as I understand. Yeah, that's what I understand his job to be. I don't fully get it, though, because if I'm at the radio station and I have nothing prepared, I can bullshit for a couple of minutes and throw to another song and look look at my playlist and be like, coming up in 15 minutes' time, I'm going to be hearing the latest from Tame Impala. That's right after this. Well, I don't do quite such a commercial radio voice because we're incredibly cool at Triple J. But <laughs> here you ask me to speak... And I got nothing. But how many mm. times on the text line do you get, hello, please explain what Blockbuster Toba means? Honestly, a lot. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of crossover <laughs> between Do Go On listeners and Triple J listeners because they're all rad dudes. Well, it is a pretty long topic that I've got today. It only beat the sixth most uh, popular topic by two votes. It was Ooh. so close. Wow. I was watching, I was refreshing, going, I've got to start researching soon. I got to draw the line somewhere, and when it drew, and when it drew its lead up to two, one wasn't enough for me. But when yeah. it got out to two, I'm like, that's an unassailable lead. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to call it here. So this is the fifth most voted for topic. Uh, I think we'll probably leave the poll open so the top four can shuffle potentially week to week. We'll see. Uh, if you want to vote, there'll be a link on our social media. Mm-hmm. Social media. 
you know, it's already plural. All right. Good start. I probably should fair warning. This isn't isn't gonna quite be like those episodes where I embarrass myself by having a few too many beers beforehand. But I wrote this report all night, and I then I had a two hour nap, and then I kept writing it all day. So I'm a bit delirious. Yeah, but you'll be okay. You've got this. Thank you so much. We'll support you. So this topic, you two know basically what the top four are at the moment because we have to figure that out. But this one, you don't know what it is. So I can actually ask you a question. Mm. You ready for this? Yes. What 1990s criminal trial was known as the trial of the century? (gasps) Is this OJ? It is OJ. No way. Wow, no wonder you stayed up all night. This is is a big topic. Yeah, this This is is huge. And how much uh, are you going to talk about Kim Kardashian? Oh, I don't mention her, but that would be great if you you have anything to chuck in because her dad is mentioned a few times Mm -hmm. or at least a guy with the name Kardashian. Yes. Yes. Did you not? You didn't pick up on that, Matt. <laughs> no, I think fig- I figured it was. I couldn't fully remember if it was uncle or dad, but I knew it was. There was some connection there. And uh, he's he's got the great Mister Sheffield sort of grey streak in his hair. Yeah, he's almost like a, a real life Sheffield, which is nice. So yeah, this is a big topic. Uh, it's a longish report, and it could have easily been way longer. Wow. If I had more time, I would have just kept writing, I think. But hopefully this satisfies people. There's a lot going on in it. Yeah. This is one of the many reports I've done where I've been a little way into it and I've gone, I've been off more than I can chew here. <laughs> <laughs> this is above oh, my no. pay grade. There oh, is <laughs> so much involved in this yeah. that is over my head. Yep. You know, I mean, there's so much racial tension at the heart of it, but also all sorts of American legal stuff that I don't... Get, yeah, and fully gruesome murders, which I won't go into the details of too much. But anyway, let's get into the report. Late on the evening of the 12th of June, 1994, Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman's bloodied bodies were found outside of Brown's Brentwood, California home. In the early afternoon the following day, famous retired footballer and actor O.J. Simpson was taken in for questioning and eventually charged with the murders. The ensuing trial gripped America and the world. (gasps) With a name like Trial of the Century, you probably would assume so. I should say it was suggested by a bunch of people. Obviously a big topic. I just scanned through the hat and these are the names I found. Sorry if I missed you. But uh, Siba, also known as Sigurborg. Siba. Siba. Oh, I even got it wrong, the easy to pronounce nickname. What about Sorry, Siba. Favourite Icelandic listeners right there. Yeah, Seba. Uh, Sandy Ty, one of our favourite Australian listeners. We can, now, <laughs> you've put us in the corner where we have to say this for everyone. Sorry, because Iceland <laughs> is so specific. All of these people are our favourites. Basically, okay, we don't I'm have just... that many uh, Icelandic listeners that contact us with topics a fair bit, so we could yeah. say that about Seba. But everyone else, can it's say. a little bit harder. Sorry. A few of these people were so keen on it that they suggested it multiple times. I think Sandy was one of those people. <laughs> Keith J. Ross also did that. Uh, Stefan Prince. Izzy Klein, Keith O'Hugan. I think that's a Gaelic name that it will definitely not be pronounced like that, but that, phonetically it looks like Keith O'Hugan. Jack Richard Kramer, Aaron Wolf, Bob, Roy Phillips, <laughs> and Matt Olson. Wow, that is a lot of suggestions. Okay, so 
I've set you up there. I'm going to take it back to real brief biography of uh, O.J. Simpson to kick us off. Great. Uh, do you know what his name actually is, what the O.J. stands for? Obadiah Johannesburg. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, you may as well have a guess, right? David, any close? ideas? Uh, no. Like I do. It was one of those trivia A clue things. is the middle name is everybody's middle name. John. James. Oh, James. James. Fuck. Yes. It's so looking at two people whose middle names are James. And I was like, no, it can't be oh, that. Most like popular name, name, most popular baby name for the last hundred years I read recently. What? James. Wow. Yeah. Oh, James. For right. boys, I guess. And O. Not I mean, OJ. He's, he's not an No, Oliver. you won't guess it. If you don't know it, you won't it's guess it. O'Reith or something like that? It's Orenthal. Uh, yeah. Orenthal. It's Orenthal James. You don't hear that very and often. And I think it was, I think I read that it was uh, he was named after a French actor that his auntie liked, but that's I couldn't a, find who that actor was. It's a few was. leaps, isn't it? Yeah. There's an actor that your auntie likes. Yeah, it's funny okay. that he shortened it to OJ, isn't it? Um, according to biography.com, at the age of two, Simpson contracted rickets, leaving him pigeon-toed and bow-legged. He had to wear a pair of shoes connected by an iron bar for a few hours almost every day until he was five years old. Pretty amazing he went from that to a superstar footballer. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Simpson displayed immense promise at Gridiron for Galileo High School. Galileo. Though his, Galileo, uh, though his Galileo, poor grades Galileo. initially impeded his chances of joining a major college football program. After overwhelming the competition at the City College of San Francisco, he was admitted to the University of Southern California as a halfback. There he became a superstar of college football. As biography.com continues, Simpson first gained fame as a two-time All-American halfback for the USC Trojans, setting NCAA records and winning the Heisman Trophy in 1968. Uh, do you go, just before I read this next paragraph, the important information is, you know what rushing is in gridiron? Um, obviously, yeah, I, I mean, do. But for on. absolute noobs who might be listening and don't understand, you may as well explain it anyway. It's basically when the and I'm I'm a, I'm a relative noob to oh, football as well. Blame. <laughs> so apologies if this isn't spot on. But I, he means relative to us, Jess. Relative to us. When oh. the offense runs the ball forward rather than kicking it or passing it. You know, a quarterback will normally throw it. Yeah. Sometimes if, if they just take the ball and run, that's called a rush. So you like gain territory kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. So however you move the ball forward is fine, I think, as long as everyone's on side or whatever. But it's just if you throw it and a runner gets through, you're going you're, you're gonna to be able to make more territory easier, whereas yeah. a runner has to get through, you know, carry the – I think that all makes – anyway, sim, so – this next paragraph mentioned his, some of his great rushing okay. stats. So I thought I'd better clean that up before we get into it. Oh, he just had bad the... time management. So he was always bloody Russian. Always Russian. <laughs> I need to get over there on the field. Well, you should have done that earlier. Yeah, okay. Maybe if you managed your time a little better, you'd already be there by now. <laughs> hmm? That's a good bit. I'm sure Gridiron fans have... Grew up with jokes like that. But Surely. For newcomers like us, that is fun stuff. That's good stuff. That's joyful. Uh, Simpson joined the professional Buffalo Bills in 1969, but did not excel until the offense was tailored to showcase his running. Nicknamed the Juice, Simpson topped 1,000 oh. yards rushing over five consecutive years from 72 to 76 and led the NFL in that category four times. 
1973, he became the first NFL player to rush for more than 2,000 yards in a single season. Poof. So he was, he was setting world records. Uh, the running back also established league records, which have since been broken, with his 23 touchdowns in 1975 and 273 rushing yards against the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving Day, 1976. So he was a he was a like a pioneer. He was taking taking what a running back could do to the next level, if that is what his uh, position was. And his nickname was the Juice. The Juice. Which, honestly, at first I went, why? <laughs> yeah. Despite two minutes earlier going, <laughs> like the juice. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I don't, think, I don't think I connected that for a long time either, the juice. It's a funny nickname and it's kind of lamer once you know how he got it. There's something fun about it if it was mysterious. The juice, love that. Love oh, that. Oh, because your initials are OJ. OJ, got it. It's like being nicknamed Bop because... Someone whose initials are JP was also known as the Bop, Big Bopper. Yeah, it is equally cool as being called Bop. You're right. <laughs> Very weird specific example. I don't know what, <laughs> yeah, what don't know that where is you got that from. Yeah. Uh, Simpson married Marguerite L. Whitley or Whiteley on June the 24th, 1967. They had three children together. Simpson also retired from professional football in 1979, uh, which was the year that him and his wife split. During his playing career, he would also do some commentary work and that continued on during retirement, particularly on Monday Night Football, uh, which is like, the, I think it's one of the big nights of watching football in America. During his playing days, Simpson also embarked on an acting career, starting out with bit parts like Airplane Passenger in <laughs> It Takes a Thief and Onlooker in Ironside. In 1968, before moving on to larger roles such as Garth in the 1974 film The Klansman, which was a film starring Lee Marvin and Richard Burton, and in it, Simpson played a man framed by police for murder. <laughs> right. Bit of foreshadowing. Sort of foreshadowing. He would also go on to be an onlooker many, many times. <laughs> Perhaps his most famous role, though, was Nordberg, the dim-witted policeman in the Naked Gun trilogy, opposite star Leslie Nielsen. Classic films. Uh, while still married to Whiteley or Whitley, Simpson met waitress Nicole Brown and the two began dating soon after. This is from Biography.com. Brown was born in Frankfurt, West Germany on May 19th, 1959, so about 12 years younger than OJ. I think... OJ was about 30 and she was about 18 when they met. Her grandmother, Judithah, had met husband Lewis while he was stationed there as a correspondent for the American Armed Forces publication, Stars and Stripes. The couple initially set up life in Frankfurt where the Browns had two girls, Denise and Nicole. While their daughters were still toddlers, though, the family moved to the United States, settling in the hometown of Garden Grove, California, which I've heard of because of the Sublime song. Good song. Okay. Sounds like such a nice spot. I've no idea anything about it, but that song is nice and the name is very nice. Mm. Yeah, but sometimes I, you know, suburbs like Sunshine have ruined that illusion for me. (laughs) I I like like Sunshine. I'm sure Sunshine's fine. You East assholes. (laughs) Sunshine's a beautiful Western city. Just give it a chance. Go visit. Get out of your little bubble and give the West a chance and you'll no. find West is best. No, I like my little bubble. Okay. I, I prefer to be camper well, emphasis on the well. <laughs> That's some good niche stuff there, Dave. Um, 
Brown had no problem adjusting to California life. This is still from her biography.com biography. The blonde beauty gravitated towards the beach as a young teen. I think I specified this is from biography.com because it would be weird for me to be saying stuff like that. Just like from what I've learned, she was a blonde beauty <laughs> gravitating towards the beach as a young teen and was named homecoming princess or princess at Dana Hills High School. Oh, couldn't be queen. <laughs> yeah, what does that Name. even mean, homecoming princess? I've never heard of that before. Well, if I've learned anything from watching Never Been Kissed Again recently, you have the homecoming court. So you don't just have king oh, and queen. Oh. You also have princesses and princes. I Are don't they know younger? How accurate that is. No, I don't, I don't think so. Oh, they're just runner-up sort of. Yeah. Oh, interesting. There also yeah, it's like, a weird system. Is there like a jester as well? Yeah, is there a court jester? <laughs> Is there a hangman? Is there a bard? <laughs> Does someone play the lute? <laughs> How accurate are we making these things? I don't get homecoming or the I'm king, the homecoming peasant. <laughs> uh, so by the age of 18, Brown had begun working as a waitress at the Daisy, an upscale Beverly Hills club. It was there that she met Simpson, who was married at the time and in the waning years of a Hall of Fame football career. By all accounts, the two quickly fell for each other and soon began dating. Simpson divorced uh, his first wife in 1979, and in 1985, he and Brown were married at his palatial home in Los Angeles uh, in the neighbourhood of Brentwood. That year, the couple welcomed a daughter, Sydney, and three years later, they had a son named Justin. So he's got, like, five kids. Yes. Uh, Three with his first wife? Yes. I feel, I think one of his... One of those passed away quite young, but okay. yeah. Brown was reportedly a devoted mother, still from biography.com. She eschewed nannies, insisted on taking her children to dance and karate lessons and welcomed family into her home for holiday events and birthday parties. Along with her familial duties, Brown started a small interior decorating business. Really a real go-getter. Cool. Her marriage, however, was far from serene. Simpson wasn't just unfaithful, he was abusive. Friends and relatives would later recount seeing bruises on Brown's body. There were numerous incidents, including the 1989 New Year's Eve party in which the former football player allegedly threatened to kill her. He pleaded no contest to spousal battery, but suffered little in the way of consequences. So this all this all happened uh, in the years prior. Right. And, that- and I don't know how much news it even made because it says he just re- really there were... It was a slap on the wrist and, and there weren't any great consequences Jesus. that came from it. Do they remain married? Uh, uh, they did, not uh, not the whole way through, but they did at that time. Right. Um, I believe. Sounds like a pretty awful situation for, yeah, yes. for Nicole, yeah. The, the police were called out a, a lot of times um, and often, yeah, no charges were laid. Oh, that's but, awful. Um, that time that there were... And then apparently he brushed off the incident in an interview with ESPN in terms of um, him um, pleading no contest to spousal battery. Uh, And this is what he said in an interview. We had a fight. We were both guilty. No one was hurt. It was no big deal. And we got on with our life. And then um, she filed for divorce in 1992. So, yeah, he really downplayed us. Downplaying something you pleaded no contest to. Yeah. Two we were years both later. guilty. No. Yeah, we're both what? guilty. That's uh, odd, odd logic there. Yeah. So they divorced in 1992 and then 
two years later, on the 12th of June, 1994, she was found dead beside her friend, Ron Goldman. Earlier that night, Brown went out for dinner with friends and family at a restaurant named Metzaluna after attending her daughter Sydney's dance recital, which Simpson also attended. This is also where her friend Ron Goldman worked as a, as a waiter at Metzaluna. Brown's mum accidentally left her glasses behind at the restaurant and when they realised this, Goldman offered to drop the glasses off to Brown's house. Okay. Because uh, they were sort of friends anyway. And, um, yeah, I don't know if it's important, but Simpson wasn't invited to this dinner. Feels like obviously not, but he was potentially upset by that. While the Browns were eating at Metzaluna, OJ Simpson was instead uh, ordering some burgers from McDonald's for dinner with a friend and house guest, Kato Kalin, who was a bit part actor, sort of surfer dude guy. Yeah, right. Later that evening, Brown's pet dog, a white Akita. Am I saying that right, dog people? Yeah, it's like a Japanese breed. Are they the really fluffy ones? No, what am I thinking of? Yeah, they, they like have the... Uh, well, they're fluffy in the body, and then they have like the tail that sort of goes up like a. Yes. How, I don't know how to describe that. Tail that goes up. I I forget that I could see the hand gesture. Yeah, that's you're what making. I thought. <laughs> goes up like a crescent moon over their yes, back. Yes, yes. Beautiful. I would have said a banana. But hey, we're yeah. all different. But I'm not a poet like and that. You're not a dog. The crescent moon. You're not a dog man. Curls up like a crescent, crescent moon, moon on a clear. Spring Eve. <laughs> That's a day. Uh, Brown's pet dog, the white Akita, was found by a, a neighbour barking with blood on its paws oh. and, and the dog led the neighbours to the bodies. Fuck. So the dog had obviously found the bodies and was like, you know, he's got its paws bloodied because it's, you know, it's yeah. his owner. He's, you know, so that's obviously full on for the dog and the neighbours. It's always so amazing when it, when... Animals, but it's often dogs do stuff like that, like go and get help. Yeah. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it almost makes me think dogs are all right. Wow, we almost got him. That's big. Nah, dogs are all right. I got no problem with dogs. People with dogs in their house, those houses often stink. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Probably depends on the dog. I'm thinking of one friend, all right? <laughs> Is it me? Yeah. Is it me? Hang on, hang on. Dave, you won't have us over at your house. Yeah, that's right. I won't name names, Dave. I won't bring you around because I'm <laughs> worried Matt will come in and go, oh, P.U. Does someone your smell wet dog? <laughs> <laughs> that's not the line, is it? Does Why someone do I smell, smell wet dog? Why do I smell wet dog? I haven't even seen it. I just know it because you say that's it. That's my only time. reference to that entire movie. And yet, about <laughs> once a month, that phrase just comes into my head for no reason. <laughs> and it's Matt doing an impression. I don't even know what the original person sounds like. Are you sure it comes in to your head for no reason? Or is it because your no, dog stinks? No. Yes. <laughs> Is it because you got a stinky dog? No, that's because I- or is it because Daddy Wallbox is visiting? <laughs> <laughs> I know that wasn't the thing to take away from what you just said, Matt, about the dog finding people who'd been murdered. No, so, I thought I thought the same thing because I've never had a a pet, I uh, or a pet dog at least. Got, got a cat. Cats don't quite count as pets, I don't think. But um, oh, you've they're just their pissed- own entities, Matt. You've pissed off dog owners and now cat owners as well. Come on. <laughs> I think cat owners know what I'm talking about. But, yeah, I'm pretty ambivalent to pets. I didn't grow up with any pets. You know, I'm new to this game. 
Anyway, this isn't about me and but pets. But if, if the cat found you dead, it would not care. Nah. You know? They go, ugh, got to go find another feeder. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't go get help. Nah. It'd, it'd dislocate its lower jaw. <laughs> <laughs> and snake-like slowly you just, you just swallow me whole. Ah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's going to be a weird a weird report where we have these stupid <laughs> tangents and then go back to anyway. The police arrived to find a gruesome scene: uh, the bloodied bodies of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman, who had both been stabbed multiple times and were in a real poor state. Uh, they also found a bloodied glove, a woolen hat. The glasses Goldman was returning in a white envelope and a lot of blood, heaps of and heaps of blood, including some little splatters of blood which they were confident were from the murderer. Oh. oh and can I just ask, is this, this is outside? This is outside. Okay. So this, her front door is open. Yep. No sign of force entry. She's just come down to the bottom steps and that's where the bodies are found, right out the front. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And then there's blood from a potential killer maybe. Yes. Most of the blood is from Brown and Goldman's, but, yeah, there are droplets of other blood that they're like, we, this looks like um, from where it's positioned. Mm-hmm. That was, Like to me, I'm like, how would you know that? But I guess that's what they do. They, If I learn anything from the couple of episodes I've seen from Crime Scene Investigation, it is... Always put on your sunglasses after you say a cool thing. Or take them off if you're currently wearing them. You can take them off too. So um, they also found uh, a bunch of footprints, bloody footprints that had walked through the blood and gone everywhere. Uh, These were human footprints in big size 12 boots. Wow, dogs wear big boots. Sorry, I'm trying to to find some light. (laughs) That's a big dog. Trying to find some light in a pretty grim situation. Sorry, no, dogs. Dogs are clever. They're putting everyone off the scent. Mm. I'll wear big. Like I'll. I know what I'll do. I'll wear human <laughs> shoes. Not any human shoes. Big human. Real shoes. big shoes. As if a dog could wear big human shoes. That's and I'll what walk they'll on my say. Hind legs. That's what they'll say. <laughs> yeah. But in actual fact, I'm a dog wearing big shoes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a cop walks in and catches him in the act. Dog on hind legs. <laughs> Deer in the headlights. <laughs> Trying to untie That's him. That's <laughs> funny. Uh, around 4.30am, the police head to Simpson's Rockingham mansion to inform him about his ex-wife's death. When they arrived, though, no one responded after they'd pressed the intercom m- multiple times. So he lives in this huge mansion property, big gate, big property, multiple entrances on different streets. Noticing blood on Simpson's Ford Bronco and the fact that it was parked on an awkward angle as if parked in a rush... Uh, they decided, even though they didn't have a warrant, they were going to enter Bust the property. In there, yep. So, homicide detective Mark Furman jumped the wall and then un- unlocked the gate to let the, uh, the other officers in. The police later argued they entered without a warrant because they feared someone else may be injured inside. Others, so this, there's p- plenty of things in this case that are contentious where the defense will say that seems pretty dodgy especially because the defence is going to argue they planted evidence. Right, yeah. Um, uh, and they didn't have a warrant to plant that evidence. Is that the problem? Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. You need a warrant to plant <laughs> that evidence. Uh, when inside, they spoke to Kalen, the surfy dude, mm-hmm. bit part actor who was staying there. Kalen told the police that at approximately 10.50pm he heard banging outside his guest house. 
When Detective Furman went around to see what might have caused the banging sound, he found a second bloody glove that matched the one found earlier near Goldman's body. Simpson wasn't home as he had flown to Chicago just before midnight to play in a corporate golf event the following day. He was checking into his Chicago hotel room uh, in the early morning, around the same time the police arrived at his house to find that second glove. Simpson was driven to the airport by a limo driver named Alan Park. Park couldn't remember seeing Simpson's Bronco parked out the front of his place, where it should have been during the time of the murder, even remembering that he could see the number on his front gate, which would have been obscured if the uh, if the Ford Bronco was parked there, supposedly. Um, okay. So some would say that proves that the Bronco wasn't there. Maybe it was off mm. at the murder scene at the time, whereas Simpson said, no, I never left the property. I was never in the car. So... The driver, Park, also pressed the intercom, also got no answer, so he had a cigarette and just waited, and he was waiting for quite a while. He would also later testify that while he waited, someone resembling Simpson, same height and build, arrived at the mansion from another entrance. Uh, about the same time, Kalen heard the banging outside his guest house. Not long after, Simpson came out to meet Park, apologising, saying he'd overslept. So the shady figure enters from the other entrance, goes inside. Then Simpson comes out and goes, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I've just been here all along. I was asleep. Is he just wearing his pyjamas? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's wearing his pyjamas over his murdering clothes. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> I was going to say, allegedly. <laughs> right, but but the driver thinks... I mean, this is this is all based on... I mean, he, he, he didn't say it was Simpson. He couldn't see his face. He yeah. said it looked like it could be Simpson from a, you know... Quite a distance away. But the Bronco, he doesn't think the Bronco was there at the time. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, and I guess he, he's not thinking I've got to be paying attention to all these that's little right. details. Of course, When yeah. I hear these, sir, I'm like, why didn't he go over and see if the Bronco had arrived now? It's like he didn't know to be looking for that. No. It's amazing that he remembered what he did remember. Park also testified that Simpson packed four bags for his trip but wouldn't let Park touch one of them so he could load three in apparently, but one of them's like, no, don't touch that one. That's for me only. Okay. When Park drove Simpson to the airport, he recalled Simpson sweating and complaining about the heat, even though it wasn't a hot night. James Williams, who was working at LA airport that night, testified that Simpson only checked three bags for his flight. From So one of those bags has gone missing, obviously. And from this, uh, the police deduced that the fourth bag contained the murder weapon and bloody clothes, which Simpson had... Uh, must have dumped before his flight. I wonder where, where would he dump it, though? Like, an airport's pretty hard. Well, I suppose maybe it's a little bit different now nowadays. People are a little bit more security conscious, but you can't just obviously leave a bag somewhere in an airport anymore. Yeah, exactly. You, that's what I thought as well. But I, And they did speak to... The prosecution spoke to someone who uh, said they saw him emptying the contents of a bag into a bin, but for some reason they didn't call on that testimony at trial, so makes you wonder how strong it was if they're not going to use it. But there's all these decisions that are made during the trial as well where they go, if I do this, there's a consequence on the flip side. That, that'll mean this other evidence will also have to be brought in, which will help the other side. So there's all these decisions they have to make all the time. Yeah. And um, it seems like the prosecution especially made the wrong calls on numerous occasions in this case. After speaking to police about the death of Brown, Simpson, and so he's on the phone from Chicago, Simpson told them he'd get the next flight home. 
the police then returned to Simpson's mansion at 10.45am, now with a search warrant, and they found more traces of blood around the property as well as in his Ford Bronco. By midday, Simpson arrived home where he was taken in by police for questioning. He was cuffed and taken in. Uh, obviously, all things were pointing towards him as the culprit at this point. Mm. Over a period of a few hours, Simpson gave pretty vague answers. For example, when the interviewing detective noticed a cut on Simpson's left hand uh, that was consistent with where the police believed the murderer would have been cut based on the blood they found at the scene, Simpson claimed he'd accidentally cut himself while in Chicago. Then when Lang, the uh, detective, told Simpson blood was also found in his Bronco, Simpson changed his story saying, oh, he cut his hand on the same day as the murders but couldn't really remember how. Oh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the detective didn't push Simpson on this though and he was released after agreeing to voluntarily give a blood sample for comparison. There's people who uh, criticise these detectives in this interview they did. They're like, this is your one chance to talk to him. You should have nailed him down on some of these questions. Don't let him be vague. Mm. Make him answer properly. And they didn't do that. Their logic was that they needed to get the photo. They needed him to cooperate to get the photo of his cut, to get the blood sample and these sort of things. So they would go on softly, softly with him. They're playing good cop, good cop. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> and others are saying they needed a little bit more bad cop in there to um, get something happening here. If I even... Even a small paper cut or, you know, like you nick something shaving, I'll tell anyone who'll listen. <laughs> and now I realise that that's great because there'll be so many witnesses to say, no, no, I distinctly remember her complaining about that yeah, for about 20 minutes. Murdered, <laughs> just after she murdered her dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I she said, oh, she, and then she just would not talk about it. And all I was just like, okay, can we get back to why the fuck you murdered your dog? And she was like, paper cut, paper cut, paper cut. <laughs> so I remember very clearly. Wow, was paper the murder weapon? That sounds awful for the dog. <laughs> yeah, it's a slow yeah, way it's to a, go. Yeah, that's a slow I way to go. That's awful. not hurting any dog ever. We love dogs. Well, most of us love dogs. I, no, I love dogs so much that I let them roam free in the jungles or whatever. I don't confine them <laughs> yeah, to my where they come yard from. Yeah. or my small bungalow like you live in probably, Dave. Do you live in a small bungalow, Dave? Ah, close enough. <laughs> I live in the pool house of an even wealthier person. <laughs> Sandy Cohen. Yeah. That is a good pool house. Like if you lived in Ryan's pool house, you'd be pretty fucking yeah, but- comfortable. It's better than my apartment. I think maybe you're probably picturing something kind of like O.J. Simpson's house. Is that what he's... Yeah. You know, big mansion So what it sounds like, place. yeah. And it was Kato, Kato was in the pool house? Yeah. yeah the guest exactly. house. Imagine having yeah, a guest right. house it's... and not just an air bed on the lounge room floor. Imagine. Wow. That'd be cool. That'd be so And then cool. you can go out and get McDonald's whenever you want. Oh, oh man. my God. Imagine <laughs> being able to go out and get McDonald's whenever Kato you want. Kato was living the and life. And you said, uh, the way you said it, it was like they were eating multiple burgers each as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I can't remember. It was in one of the documentaries I watched, they said they went out and got burgers, like three each <laughs> or something. <laughs> that's the biggest crime here. That's what my uh, boyfriend will always do because he doesn't want to eat chips because chips are unhealthy. So instead he'll just order two or three burgers. Nutritious burgers. That's smart. Oh, when I was a kid I had real basic taste. I got junior burgers and I, as I got it, became a teen and I was going to McDonald's by myself, I'd buy like five junior burgers <laughs> and just yeah. sit there with this bag full of junior burgers. It was a weird thing to do. I'm just eating bread basically. <laughs> bread and beef. That's all I need. <laughs> 
I'm good. It's all about that gherkin pickle. On the 15th, Simpson hired defence attorney Robert Shapiro as his lead counsel. A couple of days later, on the 16th of June, Simpson attended the funeral of Nicole Brown Simpson with his children. Must have been, yeah, quite full on yeah, for awful. everyone else. Yeah, because they all know that he's under deep suspicion, right? Yeah. yeah. So well, traumatic. It's super well publicised. This is all big, big news. He's a superstar, mm. like a real massive mainstream superstar guy. He was a huge, hugely popular footballer and he crossed over into entertainment. And those like those Naked Gun films were pretty big. Mm. I think I have vague memories because I would have only seen them after they came out on, on video or whatever. And I remember watching one and, and there being some talk about uh, the Nordberg character and it would have been about this stuff and I just wouldn't have understood it. You know what I mean? Oh, right, they made a reference. Like adults going, adults watching along. Yeah. Saying, oh, yeah, funny seeing him in a film or something like that and and it not making sense to me until... You're being like, yeah, this film is funny, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nordberg, what a funny <laughs> name. On the 17th of June, with the evidence mounting, including results from DNA tests coming, starting to come back, Simpson was about to be charged with two counts of first-degree murder. Rather than be arrested, though, Simpson's lawyer Shapiro negotiated with the police and agreed that his client would surrender to them by 11 a.m., Apparently this was unusual for the police to allow. In these sort of cases, they would normally just arrest the murderers or the accused murderer. They wouldn't be like, yeah, come in you can come in when you're ready, 11 o'clock, that sounds you good. Got a, you see you, you got a massage beforehand? Yeah, no worries. Don't cancel that. Just oh, come yeah, on no, no, no. That. Yeah. They're terrible with those things. If you don't give 24 hours notice, it's non-refundable. Oh, that's so. awful. I mean, yeah, they're crooks. They're the real crooks here. <laughs> we should bloody bust <laughs> down there and arrest them, but... um. But no, dude, come in. Though. Yeah, yeah, see you at eleven. <laughs> see you at eleven, mate. <laughs> the um, but the, their logic was that he'd followed. It was no flight risk. He'd followed everything they'd asked to do. He gave blood. He flew home from Chicago when he said he would. Um, they saw him as very low risk. Apart from anything else, he's one of the most famous people yeah, in America. He can't just disappear. Where would he go? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were wrong, though. Of course, he did flee. Oh shit! Uh, this is one of the most famous parts of the case, which I didn't know much about. I, I just knew the idea of it, the car chase. But anyway, this is Yeah, well, I, this is how that's it goes all down. I know very few details. Sorry, let's let you tell it. The white Bronco yeah, the bro- car is chase. The Bronco, is that the same Bronco as the one that was out the front? It is a different Bronco. Bro- <laughs> how many Broncos does a man need? <laughs> These are the only two Broncos I've ever heard of, and they're both <laughs> in the same Because when you mentioned the Bronco at the start, I was like, oh, he's gonna, that's the one he's going to drive away. Oh, no, different Bronco. No, it's not. Okay. Yeah, that, took, that was surprising to me as well. So they just, him and his mates love Broncos. Okay. He was also a representative for Ford. He had a lot of corporate uh. um, deals. Like he was the face of um, uh, one of the big rental car companies as well as Ford and all sorts of stuff. That okay. The golf day I was going to was for a rental car company thing. Right, okay. He was good at selling stuff. He was on lots of ads, movies, TV. He was everywhere. Wow. After the 11 a.m. deadline passed, they... We're told it'll be 11.45, then that passed. Who's telling them, oh, it'll be 11.45? His, so he was hanging out with all the lawyers at an undisclosed property. I believe it might have even been the Kardashian house. Yeah, they were they were just hanging out there. And then... Just hanging uh, out. The lawyers all went upstairs, apparently. This is what they say. And then and he was downstairs and then he was gone. The last I saw him was with his friend, 
and former professional football teammate Al Cowlings or AC. So, yeah, they were off. And AC also had a Bronco. Oh, my God. At 1.50pm, the police announced that Simpson had not surrendered for arraignment as scheduled and was now a fugitive. By 3pm, District Attorney Gil Garcetti told a news conference that anyone helping Simpson to flee would be prosecuted as a felon. Quote, we will find Mr. Simpson and bring him to justice. Whoa. Someone at a press conference, one of the reporters said, are you, you a bit embarrassed about this? And he said, I'm not embarrassed, I'm angry. And he said, who are you angry at? Like he's sort of saying, you fucked this up a yeah, little bit. You, are you angry you. at someone in your team? And he goes, no, I'm angry at OJ Simpson, <laughs> the murderer who's on the run. <laughs> Who we let on, go, basically. It's weird when a criminal uh, does something. I mean, this is, at this point, he's not, he hasn't even been found guilty at this point yeah. of, of these murders. So, But, I mean, also, what you know, don't, don't they always say, like, innocent people don't run? Because even yeah. if you are, you definitely look more guilty now. Yeah, that's right. That's my hot take. It's another thing that I don't think they hammered home too much. Uh, the prosecution didn't hammer home too much in the case. Um, there was stuff, which I'll talk about soon, from evidence from the car that they didn't want to bring in because they thought it would maybe also help the defence, which is interesting, but I'll make that clear in a second. Mm -hmm. At 4.45pm, the police issued an arrest warrant for Cowlings as well, the friend. At 5pm, Shapiro held a, a news conference at which friend of Simpson, Robert Kardashian, read a message from Simpson, which sounded a lot like a suicide note. It began, first, everyone, understand I had nothing to do with Nicole's murder. It was quite long. I'll just read a few bits from it. It also said, I think of my life and I feel I've done most of the right things. So why do I end up like this? I can't go on. No matter what the outcome, people will look and point. I can't take that. I can't subject my children to that. This way they can move on and go on with their lives. Addressing the media, Simpson wrote, I know you have a job to do, but as a last wish, please, please, please leave my children in peace. Their lives will be tough enough. Uh, the note ended saying, don't feel sorry for me. I've had a great life, great friends. Please think of the real OJ and not this lost person. Thanks for making my life special. I hope I helped yours. Peace and love, OJ. Wow. Far out. Yeah, so that's pretty full on, obviously. Yeah. And so Robert Kardashian's just reading that to the media. Yeah, to a big media scrum. Everything to do with this case has huge media packs involved. Yeah, but Nearly an hour later... Cowlings called 911 from his Ford Bronco. I've made a note here. Ford was one of Simpson's many corporate partners. He was a spokesperson for them from 1975 until the day of this car chase. Wow. Right, so after that, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah, That's interesting. He, he, he brought some bad attention to their product, actually, I think. Huh. Isn't there a John Mulaney bit where he talks about that he the Ford, they stopped manufacturing the Bronco because of this? Oh, that vaguely rings a bell, but I don't remember it for sure. Yeah, I won't try and butcher it, but look it up if you're curious. I'll, I'll find a clip and maybe post it during the week on our socials. Do go on, pod, on Twitter, <laughs> Instagram and Facebook. Matt, save the plugs for later. You said this is a long report. <laughs> His call was traced to the F Freeway in Orange County near Lake Forest, which is where Nicole Brown Simpson was buried. So it seemed like that's where he was heading. And this kicks off one of the most iconic and slow-motion car chases of all time because they're not driving all that fast once the cops find them. 
but the cops also never try to cut him off or anything like that. They hold back. Kind of, like, I think, more like what car chases happen these days where the police are more wary of not causing accidents. Hmm. And apparently that was a bit strange at the time, but anyway. Well, people were, like, expecting, like, the Blues Brothers to go after them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As well as the police, Simpson was also being followed by news helicopters with nearly 100 million people watching the footage live at home. 100 million. Wow. Holy so, shit. 95 million, I think, was what they said. According to CNN, on TV, the chase was simply inescapable. All of the broadcast networks and CNN carried every bit of it live. Even non-news cable channels broke into their regular programming to show portions of it. On NBC, the chase produced the most bizarre split screen ever. On one side of the screen, the Knicks and the Rockets battled for NBA supremacy at Madison Square Garden. (laughs) On the other, the white Bronco inched down a Los Angeles freeway with police in non-hot pursuit. Uh, Due to the coverage, it's funny when they, I guess that's them going, we're going to lose viewers to this car chase if we don't show it on the screen. But it feels like, Surely you just let there be some people who just want to watch the basketball, but I guess the figure the viewing figures say different. Everyone mm. wanted to watch the car chase, but not at the not at the expense of also watching sport. <laughs> I want you both. See Patrick Ewing and those Knicks. Do you think there was like a split screen of like play school on one side and then the Bronco <laughs> on the other? <laughs> Sesame Street, Elmo's on one side, yeah, that's right. OJ. On There's the something other. for everyone on this channel, guys. <laughs> Uh, due to the coverage, thousands of people gathered on freeway overpasses to watch the chase roll by. Oh, that's so weird. Men, you know, well, it gets, if you thought that just them watching is weird, many of those gathered made banners in support of Simpson with slogans such as Go OJ Go, which was a slogan from his Hertz rental car commercials. And according to the LA Times, others screamed, The juice is loose. Oh my God. That's terrible. Yeah. It Why looked like are you LA. Doing the that? footage is wild. They're just huge crowds. It looks like music festivals all the way. There'll be, and there would be crowds rushing ahead once they knew that where it was heading, the streets were crushed with people. Oh my God. Yeah. And I guess not, no one really knew anything of the facts, but they're already, you know, coming out in support yeah. of him or not. The power of celebrity. Speaking to the police, Cowling said that Simpson had a gun to his head and asked the police to back off. He also said that Simpson just wanted to see his mum. After a 60-mile chase at around 8pm, they drove the Bronco back to Simpson's Brentwood home where negotiations for his surrender occurred. So this is where his street is just packed out with people. But did he pull into his own driveway? He just went home. Yeah. (laughs) What? But he still had the gun. Like, he was holding himself hostage, basically. (laughs) Oh, sorry. It's just that's just so unexpected. Yeah, yeah isn't it? So and after all that, it, he just went home. Yeah, the last place they think to look. <laughs> well, I think he he kind of uh, he let them know that was go- what was going to happen. Yeah. This is all part of the negotiation, I think. Because um, the SWAT team had to arrive there ahead of him. There's a five part special on ESPN, a thirty for thirty. Um, which covers it, which has got a, a lot of great footage. There's so many documentaries about it, to be honest. And then I haven't seen it, but there was a, apparently quite a good dramatization of it um, with David Schwimmer playing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe the Kardashian guy. Yeah, he played Robert Kardashian. But he played it like Ross. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, you do know. say that he, he only has one. I haven't gear. watched it, but I imagine it because, yeah, in everything I've seen him in, I'm like, okay, it's Ross. But Ross, uh, he's my favorite character on the show. Fuck with, off. 
Is he really? He's that's fun. Ross is no one's oh, favorite. I was going to say I've never heard of that he's before. So, he's the funniest one. If you watch it back now, everyone else see, I don't, it seems like they're trying pretty hard. But I don't know. Right? Is it? Jess is that? Is flabbergasted? Is that, who's your favorite, Jess? Ross sucks. Uh, favorite? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't. It's a show that I appreciated in the nineties, but watching it now, I'm like, eh, I must say, tedious. I've like, I've never been a diehard fan of it or anything. No, but um, but yeah, when I watch like little clips and stuff that sometimes pop up in your Instagram feed that people, uh, you know, just upload like minute and a half scenes. Ross always seems to be the funniest one to me. Oh, that's interesting. I would have said like Phoebe or maybe Chandler, and then later in life, I appreciated Rachel more. Um. But I don't think it as a show holds up all that well. Okay. And Ross definitely has some of the the worst storylines, just in terms of him being, like, so outraged and disgusted that his ex-wife is gay now. Okay. Well, can I just say I haven't seen every episode now I've said that. Yeah. I feel like I put myself in it a bit here. I'd also say that, I mean, even with, with that to one side, comedy doesn't tend to age that well. Things that yeah, people find true. funny changes all the time. but. We did a whole episode on this. We must have had this exact same discussion. I'm sure we did. About Dave loving Ross, but I don't recall it either. I've never heard of that. So I think it's I'm I'm into David Schwimmer. I think he's I think he's pretty good. Well, I doubt he listens, but if he does, sorry about that, David. It's just an <laughs> off the hand comment that You're in a small group. I don't it's think just you're a you, great actor. Ross, <laughs> just you Schwimmer and uh Crikey Guys kid. <laughs> don't say that name. I get tagged in so much stuff. By this point, she must know I hate her. Because <laughs> people will just openly tag me in her posts. I'm sure she's. she definitely seems like a real indoorsy sitting on the computer type who'd be fretting over <laughs> Twitter. Yeah, I reckon she would too. I reckon she'd definitely know who I am and she'd care about my opinion. Bindi Irwin. Would you call her the David Schwimmer of her family? Yeah, easily. Bob is the Chandler. What a character. Bob's the Could he best. Bob any more crocodiles? <laughs> Bob's great. <laughs> His enthusiasm. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry, what's happening now? So, yeah, so he's driven back to his home. Yes. Continues speaking to the police, saying he just wants to just wants to speak to his mum. And the negotiations go on. He's sitting in the Bronco in his driveway for about 45 minutes, I think. Is the friend still in the car? Uh yep. And then I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. And then uh, he was the driver, so mm. Simpson was in the back the whole time. And uh, the police agree that he can go inside and talk to his mum on the phone. He goes in, he does that, and he has a glass of orange juice. And when oh a God. police spokesman relays this to the waiting media, they laughed out loud. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Uh, OJ has just called his mother and uh, also had a glass of fresh squeezed orange juice. And they just stop They're laughing. But why are you? Why does the media need to know what he's had to drink? <laughs> yeah, just yeah, say he's strange. just on the phone to his. He's he's had a phone call with his mum, and we'll update you with any other relevant details. Yeah, yeah, we're not sure what he's drinking or eating at the moment. He's had a glass of juice. He has attended the restroom facilities. Not sure at this time whether it was a one or a two. I will get back to you on that. That's the job you should do. You should be some sort of uh, CJ Clark or whatever her name is from the West Wing. Craig. Craig. You CJ? should be a Craig. Uh, soon after Shapiro arrived at the house and Simpson surrendered to the police, the Bronco was searched. In it, there was around eight grand in cash found, as well as a change of underwear, a gun, 
his passport, and a disguise kit, including a fake beard and glue. <laughs> Honestly, you if you went out to my car now, you'd find all of those things. So nothing's be- ringing any bells for me right now. Always be prepared. What, you guys don't have spare undies with you at all time? Grow up, you guys. What are pockets for? Well, Matt and I actually have the opposite. We actually carry a shaver with us at all time because take away our beards, we look completely different, especially me. Both of your equal beards, (laughs) yes. The prosecution never brought up what was found in the car at trial. Sorry, what? Wouldn't you be like... So he was fleeing and he had a disguise ready to go. He was clearly on the run and... People who are innocent don't tend to do that. But did they tell the uh, the jury that he had a glass of orange juice and that the media thought <laughs> Yes, of very course important. they filled him in on that. Uh, and, the, and when the jury uh, one asked, pulp or no pulp? Uh, they replied, pulp. Um, the only way, in my opinion. Yeah. No um, pulp, well, pulp all the way. You gotta have, if you're not going to have a little bit of fibre in there, what are you doing? Just having a sugar drink? Mm. Yeah. Oh, uh, one... Glass of orange liquid sugar, please. I recently, yeah. I recently had double pulp. There's the uh, nudie juice. Oh, you take the pulp or the pulp free? Yeah, nudie juice, they obviously take the pulp from the pulp free, put it in a special one and you pay extra, but you get double pulp. You need a spoon yeah. for that. <laughs> it, yeah. It was a meal. That is a thick juice. <laughs> Can I get a knife and fork for this juice? <laughs> that sounds fucked, to be honest. Yeah, i got to tell you, I... Um, Overestimated the uh, width of my esophagus and regretted it the whole way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think somewhere I read that the reason why they didn't bring in some of that evidence from the car was that it would have brought into play the recordings of OJ's phone calls to 911 and they thought that hearing him in, in his fragile state like that, the jury would have found sympathy for OJ Simpson. Oh. You know, he's calling, he's saying he's a broken man, he's sounding like, yeah, they just, they were worried that it was going to make him seem more sympathetic. Okay. But I don't fully understand, and I might have missed something here, why bringing in the evidence of the fake beard and stuff would then mean the defence can bring in, it's like it's all grouped together. And, I mean, nobody thinks that during this entire time he's on top of the world. So I think even if you go, even if they do hear the, the recordings and go, wow, he was in a really bad way. He also had a disguise kit and his passport and was so clearly on the run. That feels yeah. like pretty important evidence to then not use. I wonder if his passport, I don't know if, I'm not sure if it was a real or fake passport. I assumed it was just his passport. Oh, but if it was. Imagine if it was fake. That kind of, the disguise doesn't really make any sense then, does it? Imagine being like a household name and trying to use a fake passport. Oh, I mean, you underestimate the beard kit. He's got the glue there. He's obviously worked it out. He's <laughs> got a, a passport with a man with a beard. His name is Joe Simpson, J-O. And, Very uh, different. Don't, don't you also underestimate the uh, the fact that you're not going, I expect I will see O.J. Simpson today. You'd be like, oh, this guy looks a bit like O.J. Simpson. Yeah, looks like. <laughs> Has anybody ever told you you look like O.J. Simpson? <laughs> No. <laughs> no, I don't get that Throw a lot. off the scent. <laughs> yeah. According to biography.com, this is a bit of a fun... I was going to save this for a fun fact at the end, but I thought let's just get it in while it's hot and relevant. I'll <laughs> tell you mid-report if it's a fun fact. Okay, great. Um, so according to biography.com, the Bronco from the car chase received multiple offers from people wanting to purchase it straight after the chase saying, 
After its two hours in the spotlight, the Chase vehicle was sold by Cowlings to a company called Starifax for seventy-five grand, uh, and the car was worth about eighteen hundred dollars. <laughs> but Simpson's former agent Mike Gilbert intervened when he discovered the company's intention, saying, "We found that the company was going to rent the vehicle to a company in LA called Graveline Tours that visited famous graves." This is what Gilbert talking at ESPN. They were going to reenact the chase with the Bronco and then take people to Nicole's grave. Oh, you sick fucks. I've just realised halfway through this is definitely not a fun fact. The bit about it selling for prices maybe, but, yeah, the rest is grim. Uh, The trial hadn't taken place yet and we didn't want people thinking anyone associated with OJ did this. That was Gilbert's logic for... Um, stopping the sale, mm. and he the the car ended up just being in a garage, hardly being driven for the next ten years or something. Wow. Um. So yeah, I'll grade that myself, Jess. Not fun. Yeah. No. Good instincts there, Maddie, and I'm very proud of you because over the years, under my tutelage, you've got a very keen eye for what is in fact fun, and that one quite grim. Yeah, yeah. but Matt's like almost the opposite yeah. of a fun. Yeah, but you get grim fact. One. Yeah, he started his own thing. He's seen. What you do, Jess, and he's like, well, maybe I want my own thing. I'm going to bring in grim facts about yeah. my topics. And we support that for you, Matt. That's really great. Oh, thank you. So congrats on your first grim fact there. <laughs> Good job. Mm, I'll decide if it's grim or not. <laughs> <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching! <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI... Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. (laughs) And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music, or eBooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, Five days after the arrest, the case was assigned to Judge Lance Ito or Ito and Simpson pleaded not guilty to the murder charges. Or as he would say the next time he had to 
uh, tell the judge whether he was guilty or not. He said, absolutely, 100% not guilty. Okay, well. Under California's speedy trial law, a defendant is entitled to a trial within 60 days of arraignment. Usually, though, most defendants waive that right in order for their defence team to have more time to prepare. In this case, though, Simpson's defence team were keen to get things moving as fast as possible, believing it would give them an advantage at trial. Would that be... Uh, I wonder if that's then because it also gives the other side less time to Yeah, exactly. So evidence? it's tactical. Normally a defence isn't made up of, you know, a big team of high-profile, highly talented defence lawyers. And even as it was, apparently they'll have to work through the night to get this ready. Um, so most defendants would just, they need the extra time. So that's why they would normally waive that right. But they thought, let's get this happening quickly. They've got less time to get evidence together. They, they have less time to build a case. They've got to prove that we're guilty, not the other way around. Yeah. So um, so that was why it went that way. Hmm. The team he put together was a real crack squad of lawyers. As well as Shapiro, Simpson's defense team included Johnny Cochran, who would go on to take the lead chair from Shapiro, Simpson's friend Robert Kardashian, F. Lee Bailey, who was a who was the best cross-examining lawyer in the team, Alan Dershowitz, Barry Sheck, who was another one of the stars, Peter Newfield. I think I believe these are all just top quality, expensive lawyers. Some great um, names in there too. Loving. <laughs> yeah, Barry Sheck is an all-timer <laughs> for sure. Uh, individually, these lawyers were all brilliant, but together they would become known as the Dream Team. This is the third Dream Team we've covered on this show. <laughs> So that's what the media called him. I guess it was around that time where Dream Team was a big term because it wasn't too long after. Was it the 92 Olympics? 92, the, yeah. Yeah, so this is now 94. Yeah, right. Moving into 95. The Dream Team wasn't cheap, though, and reportedly cost Simpson $50,000 a day. That, that is, that's a lot of moolah. That's a hot tamale. <laughs> I'm using that phrase correctly? I believe so, I yes. Yep. Oh, great. Fantastic. But I'm under the assumption that being the uh, NFL superstar and all these deals, he's got the money, right? Is he rich? Rich, rich and, and Well, he lives house. in a big mansion yeah. and he does have quite a bit of money, but I I don't know if he quite like I don't know if he's earning more than 50 grand a day, so oh. he might be operating <laughs> at a loss here. I'm not sure. <laughs> and I only say that because to help pay for this, he sat in his cell signing autographs that his team was able to sell to merchandise companies. Gross. Uh, sometimes he would reportedly sign thousands in a sitting, and during the time of the trial he apparently made about $3 million from autographs. What the fuck? What? Also, major hand cramps, hey. Oh, yeah. Because you're not, you, oh, no, back then you probably did do a lot more handwriting. These days we're just not as used to it. We don't do it at all. So anytime you have to write anything, it's like, oh, my God. So that's all I'm thinking also, about. The, well, the 50 grand a day. And didn't you say they have a trial within 60 days? Well, that's your 60 days covered, 3 million bucks. Bang. Easy. That's that's some quick math. God, you're good, Dave. Dave. I suppose the trial may have gone on for multiple months after that. So They found clever ways of getting around having like heaps of footballs and jerseys in the cell with him, which wouldn't have been manageable. So uh, his team, when I say team, I don't mean his football team, but he's like his entourage or whatever, I guess. They would... Uh, bring in either like one panel of a football and then they'd put the football together afterwards or they'd bring in one number off the back of a jersey that he'd sign and then that number would be sewed onto the jersey. Right. Leading the prosecution was Marsha Clark, 
according to biography.com, an ace trial lawyer from LA, uh, from the LA District Attorney's Office, Clark spent years in the Special Trials Unit, which involved some of the most complex investigations, before becoming the lead prosecutor of the Simpson murder trial. Along with Clark, for the prosecution was Christopher Darden. Biography.com says, despite being a co-prosecuting attorney with Clark, Darden had limited trial experience. Still, as a black man amid a majority black jury, I'll talk about how the jury was selected shortly, his participation was important so as to dismiss the notion that the otherwise all-white people prosecution had racist motivations against Simpson. Also, he was a token black person. That's what it does sound like. It was a strategic choice. Um, Joining Clark and Darden were successful prosecutors Hank Goldberg and William Hodgman, as well as DNA experts Rockney Harmon, uh, George Clark, and they were assisted by prosecutor Lisa Khan. Race Khan, was a big Lisa. Khan. Oh, Khan. Lisa Khan. Khan. <laughs> oh, Khan. Khan. Great. That's great. There you go. She... Lighten that up. <laughs> Reckon she'd have a bit of fun with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. You really lightened up me reading a list of names. Yep. You had a little bit of fun to it. That's what you I can do. You have fun to anything. I, fun. I truly can. Uh, race was a big element of the case and seemed to loom large in the minds of the prosecution, potentially leading to tactical errors being made according to famoustrials.com, which is a resource that I quite enjoyed and do quote a bit from here on in. Famoustrials.com. Love that. Yeah. For the prosecution, the biggest mistake of the trial may well have been to file the Simpson case in the downtown district rather than, as normal procedure, in the district in which the crime occurred, in this case, Santa Monica. Implausibly, the prosecution explained its decision as an effort to reduce the commuting time of prosecutors and to better accommodate the expected media crush. That's how they explained away their decision. More likely, famous trials suggests, the decision was a political one based on concerns that a conviction by what would have be what would be a largely white jury in Santa Monica might spark racial protests or even riots similar to those that occurred following the trial of four LAPD officers accused of beating Rodney King. The prosecutors probably believed that their case against Simpson was so strong that even the more racially diverse jury likely in downtown LA would have no choice but to convict. So they're basically saying any jury, we've got so much evidence that any jury is going to find him guilty. It looks better if the jury isn't all white. Yep, okay. The optics, politically, That's so that's what, this website, at least, is suggesting. I don't think anyone said that on the record necessarily, but perhaps they have. Um, Vincent Bogliossi, the celebrated prosecutor in the Charles Manson case, said this error dwarfed anything else the defence did. He reckons this was their fatal flaw. Whoa. Just if they had it in Santa Monica, it could have all been different, according to Vincent. Putting together the jury was a big job. In October of 1994, Judge Ito began interviewing more than 300 prospective jurors. Due to the high-profile nature of the case, potential jurors were excluded if they violated the judge's strict rules about consuming media. Apparently, one juror was excluded for watching cartoons with her kids and, uh, and another for waking up to a clock radio. What the fuck? Oh, are they worried that they hear too much about OJ and bring in prejudice? 
Yeah, maybe if the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were playing and they'd written in a some some sort of a fictionalized version of the OJ trial. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Do I guess they not have some about... judicy there? Like, so that's why the media can't comment or has to say allegedly or can't go into details of a case because then it can it can uh, manipulate the opinions of the jury. So instead they're trying to find hermits who have never consumed any kind of media and therefore haven't been swiped. That's so confusing. You yeah, watch cartoons, confusing. you wake up to a clock radio. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> what do you mean? It's like, eh, eh, eh. good morning, it's 7 a.m. and OJ <laughs> definitely it like, did it. <laughs> I read it like he wasn't excluding them because they had done that at one point. He excluded them because they were in, he said, no media or something. You're doing a media blackout. And then they did that. During okay. the process, oh, that's how I read it, but I might have read it wrong. Yeah, no, that that makes more sense. Sorry, I was definitely interpreting it like from the get go. It was like, how yeah. do you wake up in the morning? But I, yeah, I do understand what you mean there. Exactly. Okay. Uh, all potential jurors were also asked to fill out a seventy-five page questionnaire, which some complained about as it took around four hours to complete, with questions supplied by both the prosecution and defence. I've read a few few of the questions. There's some pretty strange ones. Uh, but they're about all sorts of different things. And, yeah, some complain as well. That some are quite personal. Uh, I've pulled out some examples here. For instance, are you a fan of the USC Trojans football team, which is where okay. AJ Simpson was a star? That, I that suppose is a fair sense. question, yes. Have you ever dated a person of a different race? Yes or no? Oh, if yes, okay. how did you feel about it? Oh. What do you mean? Yeah, I know. It's such a weird... It's a weird question. If yes, how did you feel about it? Well, to be honest, it was a bit of a messy breakup um, and I miss him every day, but um, that's fucked. I said I wouldn't cry during this questionnaire. (laughs) But honestly, if you know Darren, can you tell him I miss him because he's blocked my phone calls? What do you you think about this one? Have you ever provided a urine sample to be analysed for any purpose? Yes or no? If yes... Did you feel comfortable with the accuracy of the results? Yes or no? So they're trying to figure out if they trust science, kind of. Oh. I think that might be the defence because there's a lot of DNA evidence against them. So if they find a few people who are like, no, I didn't believe the urine sample results, they'd be like, well, this, they could be good on the jury, maybe. Well, I went to the doctor one time and they made me take a, a urine sample to test if I was pregnant and this test said no and I didn't have a baby at all <laughs> but I'm not sure if I believe those results. I'm still waiting. Yeah. I think I'm just having one of those elephant pregnancies where it takes like a really long time. Maybe it could have even been the prosecution, I guess, who were trying to figure out if the opposite was like, do you trust results of science? <laughs> Do you believe Maybe. in DNA? <laughs> yeah, that would have been. And the, what, let's just get to the point. Uh, another one was: Do you think using physical force on a fellow family member is sometimes justified? Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you own any special knives other than for cooking, such as hunting or pen knives? <laughs> and this one, I think, is probably what? they should have just lead with this one. Would you like to be a juror in this case? <laughs> Yeah, that's question number one. Yeah. Are you serious? Because it's like, if if no, don't worry about the rest. Yeah, don't answer Skip the to rest. The end. <laughs> you go through them all and then you get to that one and you're like, oh, no, certainly not. Oh, God, no. I hate it. Ugh, I'd definitely call them guilty no matter what. <laughs> During the selection process, both prosecution and defence uh, are able to make 
peremptory challenges, which basically means they can veto potential jurors uh, who they don't think will give them the result they want. According to the University of Missouri's website, though, attorneys can exercise their peremptory challenges for almost any reason, body language, appearance, dissatisfaction with answers. Odor. But not for reasons of race (laughs) or sex. That guy smells too good. It's going to be very distracting in court. Oh, my God. God. It's like cinnamon. Have you been baking? Yum. So basically anything at all but not sex and not race. You're not allowed to exclude uh, jurors for these reasons. But you can absolutely still do that and and say it was something else. I guess so, And according to the survey, it sounds like you can uh, deny people based on the race of the people they've had sex with. So yeah, that, that's combining yeah, both of and them. and how they yeah, felt about the it. What the And fuck? how did you feel about it? What do you mean what by that? What the hell? Every challenge by the prosecution of a potential black juror caused Cochrane, who was now the lead uh, attorney for the defence, Cochrane would approach the bench and suggest that the challenge may have been racially motivated every single time, apparently. Uh, the tactic may have worked to dissuade the prosecution from challenging some black jurors. It was no secret that the prosecution wanted white jurors and the defence wanted black jurors. This is still from uh, the Missouri University of Missouri website. Despite defence survey data suggesting that women generally made better defence jurors than men, Prosecutor Clark willingly accepted a disproportionate number of women jurors. She reportedly believed, wrongly as it turned out, that female jurors responded well to her courtroom style. The defence poured great effort into the jury selection process. Their highly respected jury consultant, Joe Ellen Demetrius, coordinated massive data on each of the jury finalists, including their answers to the questionnaire amongst you know, their body language and all sorts of other things. And this data was put into a computer and each juror ranked according uh, to their likely sympathy for the defence. So they did it very scientifically and the defence really used his research. On the other side, it sounds like um, Clark went a bit more with gut feel that she believed she could convince women jurors, even though um, her information was we should not necessarily go down that path. By November 3, this is still from the same article, by November 3, an initial jury of 12 had been selected and the University of Missouri website lists some of the interesting facts based on its makeup and their questionnaire answers. For instance, of the 12 jurors, none regularly read a newspaper, but eight regularly watch tabloid TV shows. Five thought it was sometimes appropriate to use force on a family member. Five out of 12. Fuck. All were Democrats. So no Republicans. Five reported that they or another family member had had a negative experience with the police. Nine thought that Simpson was less likely to be a murderer because he was a professional athlete. What's that got to do? So with that was it? a question. Do you think he's that OJ is less likely to be guilty because he's a professional athlete? I'm guessing it would have been. Do you? It would have been more like. Do you respect? athletes and, yeah. and tr- are more willing to trust them or something like Gosh. that. Well, maybe Because if it was that blatant, surely surely the prosecution wouldn't have let nine people through who said, who said that. Surely. But right? she's acting on gut. They did make some she's mistakes. She's acting on gut feelings. She didn't even read the survey. She's like, I'm a really good judge of character just on looking at people, you know. I get a vibe and a, and a <laughs> smell. She was, her interviews in, in the ESPN documentary are pretty entertaining. Um, but, 
Yeah, it is. I mean, I just, I felt so much pressure for both, like all of it just felt so full on. It's all so life and death. People who do that job, it's wild. And it feels like it's, sometimes you watch it, you know, and it's not like on TV where it's all beautifully written and stuff. You're like, geez, there's some fumbly stuff here. They're put, there's lives at stake mm. and and this lawyer is sort of not making a lot of sense. And it's, then it's just up to 12 ordinary people to make the decision. What's going on? Yeah. That's a weird system. Oh, I got. should make all the decisions. No, I don't want that either. Oh, God, what pressure no. on the jurors as well. Pressure oh, on man. judges? Fucking hell. It's such a full-on thing. We'd have a few. I reckon we'd have quite a few lawyers listening to this show, a few judges, that sort of stuff. I have a, um, a radio segment where I just have to judge the best story that someone's told, and that sometimes fills me with anxiety. And I go, have I chosen the right one there? What am I doing? So I can't yeah. imagine when it's like I'm sentencing someone to death. Well, I mean, How do you feel good about that? That's what happens to the people that don't win the segment though, right, Jess? Someone wins oh, yeah, I kill them. and then the other people die. Yeah. So it's really on them for <laughs> participating because it is obviously they volunteer their yeah, story, like a, so they really back themselves. It's high stakes but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's all about having fun. <laughs> Uh, the next uh, chunk I got from this website that you got, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called Wikipedia. Oh. Okay. And it, That's a it fun really sound. Broke, it is. And it, I know it's often it's the kind of website that you might doubt a little bit, but it seems to have a really good um, breakdown of the prosecution's case. So I'm going to use some of that here. But, I mean, all of this is so big. You know, every section of this you could talk about for two hours. Yeah. Got to know when to draw the line. Uh, I think we're past the halfway mark, though. So well done, you're doing great. <laughs> and on, um, on two hours sleep, you're crushing it. Yeah, I'm gonna be crashing it later. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna end up talking about this report longer than you will have slept on the report. That's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, the prosecution argued that the domestic violence within the Simpson Brown marriage culminated in her murder. Simpson's history of abusing Nicole resulted in their divorce and him pleading guilty to one count of domestic violence in 1989. As we discussed earlier. On the night of the murders, Simpson's, uh, Simpson attended a dance recital for his daughter and was reportedly angry with Nicole because of a black dress that she wore, which he said was tight. Uh, Simpson, and he said that to a few different people apparently, his ex-wife's dress was too tight and that made him angry. Simpson's then girlfriend, Paula Barbieri, wanted to attend the recital with Simpson, but he did not invite her. After the recital, Simpson returned home to a voicemail from Barbieri ending their relationship. Uh, and the prosecution was sort of suggesting this was one of the triggers. He'd just been broken up with by his girlfriend. He's feeling jealous about his wife. This is the story they're sort of trying to tell. Because her dress was tight. Yeah. And he was jealous he wouldn't be able to pull off such a dress or? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. got, yeah, he doesn't have the figure. I get that. Um, Simpson then drove over to Nicole Brown's home to reconcile their relationship as a result. And when Nicole refused, Simpson killed her in the final act of control. That's what the prosecutor said. Ron Goldman then came upon the scene and was murdered as well. So he was just, the prosecution's case says he unluckily just disturbed a murder and got murdered as well. Wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. Yeah, and also a jealous ex-husband and a man walks up at night to her place to innocently return some glasses. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. 
still from Wiki. The prosecution opened its case by calling LAPD 911 dispatcher Sharon Gilbert and playing a four-minute 911 call from Nicole Brown Simpson on January the 1st, 1989, in which she expressed fear that Simpson would physically harm her and Simpson himself is even heard in the background yelling at her and possibly hitting her as well. Oh, shit. While she's on the phone to 911. The officer who responded to that call, Detective John Edwards, testified next that when he arrived, a severely beaten Nicole Brown Simpson ran from the bushes where she was hiding and to the detective screaming, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me, referring to OJ Simpson. Pictures of Nicole Brown's face from that night were then shown to the jury to confirm his testimony. That incident led to Simpson's arrest and eventual pleading uh, of no contest to one count of domestic violence, which he received probation for one year. This was what they thought was going to build their case. They were showing he's not this celebrity up on this pedestal. He's actually a domestic abuser, and he's um, and that has led to him killing his ex-wife. Mm. They had planned to present 62 separate incidents of domestic violence. However, the prosecution, after they did um, uh, address this for quite a while, it's a really long court case, uh, but they eventually dropped the domestic violence portion of their case on June 20, 1995. Marsha Clark stated it was because they believed the DNA evidence against Simpson was insurmountable, but the media speculated it was because of the comments made by a dismissed juror, Jeanette Harris. So during all this, jurors are being dismissed and replaced as well. There's ones that can sub in. So for different reason, the judge is kicking them out. Uh, maybe they watched um, uh, cartoons with their kids again or, or woke up to an alarm clock. <laughs> yeah, you know, could've. like an Damn, idiot. I was, I was sure I had that set to alarm. So uh, anyway, this dismissed juror, Jeanette Harris, um, she spoke to the media after she was dismissed. So in America, the jurors talk to the media a lot. It's something I didn't, don't think I really realised. But they'll, after trials and stuff, they'll explain their decisions. They'll do TV interviews and stuff. Wow. They're so anonymous here. I don't think we, do we even know who the jurors are? I don't think, I I, don't think I've ever seen an interview with a juror. No. No, I don't, I don't think they're allowed to here, but I'm not. I've also I'm never been that. called up for jury duty yet. No, neither have I. I have. Really? You have. I didn't get, Did you, you didn't do it. I didn't get picked. It was a, it was a gangland murder case. Oh, wow. damn. And because of that, they... Uh, From Melbourne City, underbelly. Yeah, totally. So it was a gangland uh, killing uh, and they brought about, uh, I don't know, 120 of us in for potential being pulled up. Because it was going to be such a long case, they wanted a really big pool of people in case that people, for various sure. reasons, couldn't do it. And then, um, yeah, I watched uh, 12 people or whatever get, get picked and I, thankfully I didn't have my... Thing called out, but the guy who was standing accused is, is right there. Like you know, look like a pretty scary character. The, wow. You're supposed to put that out of your head if you obviously picked. Um, but it's funny because you see the people get picked, and both sides uh, get to be able to pass on you know a certain amount of people, as Matt's been saying. But in this instance, they're doing it live in the room, going pass, and the people are like walking into the jury box. Like really, really go to slow motion, hoping that they get oh, past me, past me, past me, and I'm in the chair. Oh, fuck, I'm picked. I'm picked. Oh, damn it! Oh. Damn it! Damn it! They just sort of hop, wow. everyone just sort of hovers over the chair for a second. Last chance. Last chance. All right, I'm in the jury. And you're not allowed to do anything that's blatantly trying to make them not like you, right? You can't be like, 
He looks guilty. As you're walking, you can't past just or be something. flipping them. No, off. but you are allowed to go up and talk to the judge and say why you shouldn't be picked. Like something like, "Hey, uh, actually, that's my cousin. I can't do this." I yeah, know. right. Yeah. So you're allowed to say, he, "Actually, that guy looks like my yeah. cousin." But then the the judge gets to make the decision, like, "Uh, nah." Or if you say, "I've you know, I've got a kid at home. I can't be away for three months or whatever." The judge thinks about it and goes, "Nah, you're in." Yeah, wow. right. I would say I work in the media and I will be blabbing about this. Oh, they um so... they also read out your job title. Oh, ah. you have talked about this because wasn't your job title like entertainer yeah. or something? <laughs> so was, was this ages yeah, ago? Yeah. Only, yeah. I was 20 or something. So I was a kid's party entertainer was the, ma- the way I made money and then, yeah, so <laughs> the read out everyone's to make sure that you're there. So they'll be like, yeah, Matt Stewart, pharmacist, great, Jess Perkins. <laughs> You couldn't even think of a fake job. I was going to say lawyer, but you can't do it then. Oh, really? Hmm. Uh, that makes you know, sense. Jess Perkins, yeah, so. nurse, Dave Warnicky, entertainer. <laughs> there was yeah. a little bit of a laugh in the room. Pass. What a wanker. <laughs> entertainer. They're like, oh, I've never seen yeah. you. I wish they said Santa impersonator. Yeah, that'd be good. And then you stand up. Everyone looks at this old guy with a beard and like, well, that must be him. No, nope, it's He's this like, scrawny kid. Piss off, I'm a professor. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, right. So anyway, um, Jeanette Harris was this dismissed juror and um, and from what she said, that's what the media thought, oh, this is why Clark, the Clark prosecution has changed tact and they've moved away from the domestic violence stuff. And Christopher Darden, who was Clark's lieutenant basically, later confirmed that this was true. Uh, this is why she did. Harris was dismissed on April 6th because she failed to disclose that she was a victim of domestic violence from her ex-husband herself. But afterwards, Harris gave an interview and called the evidence of Simpson's abuse of Nicole a whole lot of nothing and also said, that doesn't mean he's guilty of murder. This dismissal of Simpson's abusive behaviour from a female juror who was also a victim of such abuse by her own husband convinced the prosecution that the jury was not receptive to the domestic violence argument. After the verdict, the jurors called the domestic violence portion of the case a, quote, waste of time, proving that they were probably right. Isn't that wild? That phone call they played, the jurors just like, this doesn't, this isn't anything. You're wasting our time. Wow, because wow. even I'm hearing you describe it back to me years later and I'm like, oh, that, that's important. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, feels relevant. Really... And you would think... That someone who had experienced domestic violence would be sympathetic to it. Mm. But she's going, well, this is irrelevant. Yeah. So that's fascinating. Yeah, it is really interesting. Mm. Like there's so much going on there. And, you know, being in the room with the jury, there'd be so much stuff that you don't fully know. I mean, we probably know more because they are so open in America about this stuff. Uh, and it's interesting that a, a sacked juror is able to affect the how the prosecution attacks a case as well. It's really interesting. Yeah, you think you'd be sworn to secrecy until the end of the trial at least. Yeah. It's, yeah, quite strange. Um, but maybe there's like maybe it's some sort of amendment. One of their one of those amendments they talk about is probably I've got the right to be a dismissed juror who, t- who <laughs> yeah. blabs. I'm plead in the sixth. <laughs> That's the juror one. The right to blab. The right to blab. <laughs> The fifth is the right to not blab. The sixth. Right to, right blab. to blab. It's your call. I look forward to getting the tweets telling me what the right or the sixth is actually. Um, genuinely, because that's probably a good one. What else is there? One of them, right to bear arms is mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, there's a lot though. Let's talk about like the 17th Amendment and stuff like that. Oh, <laughs> do they? Yeah, right. 
I guess they've had a few hundred years of amendments. <laughs> yeah. So they moved towards uh, DNA evidence instead. And um, I'll sort of do some dot points here of things they presented. Uh, they presented that Simpson's DNA found in blood drops next to the body, footprints near the victims at the crime scene. So those blood, the blood from next to the body that they thought was the murderer yep. matched OJ Simpson's blood. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, okay, great. That's Yeah, that's, that, that's why, so that's why Clark's sort of like, well, we've got the DNA evidence. This is insurmountable. Uh, Simpson, Rodden Goldman and Nicole Brown's DNA found on blood on the outside of the door and the inside of Simpson's Bronco. So all three of their blood? Yes. On the outside and inside of his car? Yes. Simpson's okay. DNA found on blood drops leading from the area where the Bronco was parked at Simpson's Rockhampton home to the front door entrance. Okay. Simpson, Brown and Goldman's DNA on a bloody glove found behind his home. Okay. Mm-hmm. Simpson and Nicole Brown's DNA found on blood on a pair of socks in Simpson's bedroom. Right. So he's he's left a, a trail of blood and DNA from the crime scene. All the way to his bedroom. All the way to his bedroom. There's literally a trail to his bed. Yeah. Are the jury at this point like, why are they showing us this? This is irrelevant. <laughs> then there was, I mean, there was this similar amount of evidence with hair and fibre. Do you, I don't know if you, do you want me to go through some of this? Or you sort of get the point, I guess. I'll do a couple of Like the of them word anyway. insurmountable, I mean, I can see what they mean. Yeah. Uh, the fibres from the glove found at Simpson's home microscopically match with the one found at the crime scene, proving they were each other's match, uh, mate. So the two gloves are the same. Scientifically found to be a pair. Both of the victims uh, and the two gloves and the blue knit cap worn by the killer had hair consistent with Simpson. The hair in the blue knit cap worn by the killer was embedded in the seams, indicating it was there from being worn repeatedly. Dark blue cotton clothing fibres were found on both victims. The video from the dance recital that Simpson attended earlier that night shows him wearing a similarly coloured shirt. Kato Kalin testified that Simpson was still wearing that shirt when he got home from McDonald's, but not anymore when he answered the door for the limousine driver. The police searched his home, but this shirt was never found. It was in a bin. (laughs) At the airport. Yeah. Uh, Fibres that were only used in the 93 and 94 models Ford Broncos, the same car that Simpson owns, were found on both victims, the knit cap and on both gloves. And the glove found at Simpson's home that belonged to the murderer had hair and clothing fibres consistent with Simpson, Brown and Goldman, as well as fibres from a 93-94 Ford Bronco and Brown's Akita dog. So it's just things linking all everything together. Yeah. Sounds pretty insurmountable. Right. If you believe that it hasn't been tampered with or faked or planted. Oh. Uh, also, on June 19th, 1995, the prosecution had an FBI shoe print expert. What a, isn't that a fantastic job to do full-time? Dedicated. I work for the FBI. What do you do? Shoe print <laughs> expert? Yeah. I can look at a shoe print and tell you the shoe. You give me a shoe print, I'll tell you what shoe it is. Probably tell you a bit more about it too. No worries. Yeah, that was the guy walking. Like he could tell he could tell um, that the shoe prints showed that the murderer walked away from the murder scene rather than ran based on the gate and that sort of stuff. That's terrifying. Could, could he tell mm. that the owner of the shoes had rushed over a 1,000 yards multiple times in their career? No, but they could tell that it was probably a dog on its rear legs. <laughs> 
<laughs> Gotta get up pretty early this in the morning very, to get me, dog. This is a very clever dog. <laughs> this is a very good boy. <laughs> or bad boy. This dog this should be in a circus. Uh, so this guy, William J. Bodziak, testified that the bloody shoe prints found at the crime scene and inside the Simpsons Bronco were made from a rare and expensive pair of size 12 Bruno Magli Italian shoes. Only 29 pairs of that size were sold in the US, the size that Simpsons, uh, Simpson happens to wear. And also um, it was uh, they're sold at uh, one of their big department stores and a worker there testified that um, he showed Simpson a pair of those shoes, but they couldn't find any evidence of a sale. Um, then during cross-examination, Bailey suggested the murderer wore the shoes that were the wrong size to cover their tracks, much like the dog thing. Incredible. <laughs> and to this suggestion, Bodziak replied, that is ridiculous. <laughs> His defence was, come on. Come on. Simpson, <laughs> come on. Simpson would uh, later deny ever owning a pair of these shoes, calling them ugly-ass shoes. <laughs> and there was only circumstantial evidence that he did. They couldn't fully prove that he owned them. There was no um, receipt or anything like that. According to FamousTrials.com, the strategy of Simpson's defence team was to undermine the prosecution's evidence concerning motive, to suggest Simpson was physically incapable of committing the crime, to raise doubts about the prosecution's timeline, and finally, and this is probably the key one, to suggest that the key physical evidence against Simpson was either contaminated or planted or both. Mm. Uh, the LAPD officer who found the bloody glove outside Cato Kalen's bedroom turned out to be a godsend for the defense's corrupt police theory. So they want to they want to say all of the cops planted this, this is all dodgy, this is a setup. He's been he's been um framed. Framed. Uh, and then, yeah, they they had this officer, Mark Furman, who was the one who jumped the fence. Yeah. He was the one who found the glove. Uh, he testified to the prosecution on March 9th and 10th. In his book about the trial, Robert Shapiro wrote, a suddenly, a suddenly charming Marsha Clark treated him like he was a poster boy for apple pie and American values. <laughs> Three days later, F. Lee Bailey, the great cross-examining defence attorney, began a bullying and when he, he say he's great it's just like he's he's the hard ass sort of makes you know the in tv he'd make people but cry you can't handle the truth kind of go. yeah yeah actually that uh, makes sense because that's the guy being cross-examined anyway back to you <laughs> you can handle yeah. the truth uh so this guy bailey began a bullying cross-examination of Furman, in which he asked the detective whether in the past 10 years he'd ever used the n-word Furman replied, there's a bit of back and forth, and he's like, he wasn't answering it straight. But eventually, he said he absolutely never had done so. This was a lie. Oh. Uh-oh, have they got a recording um, of him saying it? Oh, no. It turned out that Furman had used the N-word many times, and it was on tape. Laura Hart McKinney, an aspiring screenwriter from North Carolina. Um, North Carolina, just while I think of it, that nah. reminds me of a fun fact. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Matt, do we have time for Michael this? Michael Jordan played <laughs> basketball at the University of North Carolina and he um, wore his basketball shorts all the way through to his 
Bulls career, he wore them under his bull shorts for luck and then they ended up making his bull shorts bigger, changing basketball fashion forever. Now that's why they wear baggy shorts. Anyway, so Laura Hart McKinney was an aspiring screenwriter from North Carolina. Oh, that reminds me of a fact. Um, he just gets stuck in this loop. Oh, <laughs> oh Matt, no. And McKinney had hired Furman to consult with her on police issues for a script she was writing. McKinney taped her interviews with Furman, who not only used the offensive racial slur, but disclosed that he had sometimes planted evidence to help secure convictions. Oh, for fuck's sake. Needless to say, the defence wanted McKinney on the stand and they wanted the jury to hear selected portions of the tapes. The prosecution strenuously objected, arguing that McKinney's testimony was irrelevant, absent some plausible evidence suggesting that evidence was planted in the Simpson case. The prejudicial value of the testimony, the prosecution insisted, would exceed its probative value. Judge Ito, somewhat reluctantly, allowed the defence evidence. Ito's decision opened the door for the defence to offer its rather fantastic theory that Furman took a glove from uh, Brown's home uh, crime scene, rubbed it in Nicole's blood, and then took it to Simpson's Rockingham home to drop outside Kalen's bedroom so as to frame Simpson. So that opened it up um, to that. I mean, this guy, uh, he's, a, he's a real interesting character, Furman, because he, like, they played parts of the tapes. He just, it's fucked. It's real bad stuff. And um, So why is he saying this awful stuff on tape, though? Why is he saying it to the screenwriter? Well, it's, like, the, he's, it's very confusing, but he's sort of trying to, she's trying to write fiction about it, but using him for inspiration. Whether he's playing it up or what, it's hard to know. But he's, you know, it's on tape. He said it. And uh, another strange thing was, which I forgot to write into the report, but it was something like when he was a younger cop, he took, I think he took the force to court to try to get, uh, to quit on a pension because of how racist he felt. And they dismissed it and wouldn't let him quit and take the pension or something strange like that. Yeah, it's like quite a bizarre thing. He like called himself out for being racist. I think so, yeah. And so said, only... I cannot be impartial in this job because I'm actually yeah. incredibly racist. So I'd love to leave the force, but can I have a pension, please? And they said, no, you must stay on and do your job. All of it very confusing. That's so perplexing. He sounds yeah, like but... a real piece of shit, but... I, yeah, it isn't fully relevant. Well, I guess, I don't know. It just f- feels a bit weird that he's like, I've planted evidence before, but I yeah. suppose then that puts doubt in the mind of the jury. I get it. Exactly, and the defence, like what that makes sense why the defence would want to do that, whether or not the judge decides that that's enough uh, if there's no real evidence of that happening in this case. Because what, what the prosecution would say is he hadn't, he had no way of knowing that Simpson didn't have an alibi then. Why would he frame up a guy on the spur of a moment like that? And that's just the glove as well. There was still, I mean, OJ's blood was at the scene. It was also the the victim's DNA was in his car as well. Like it's one piece yes. of evidence. But the, So I think what the defence slowly built up was, I think they more and more relied on this sort of conspiracy theory was that, uh, they had O.J. Simpson's blood because they had the sample. So that was taken, spilled at the crime scene. And then they took some of the blood from that crime scene and put it on his truck. 
and into his bedroom, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. Yes. So, wow. I mean, being in the jury and you're hearing that, you're hearing those tapes, you go, well, I'm start- I, it has to be beyond reasonable doubt. Maybe I'm starting to have reasonable doubt about this. Yeah. If I wasn't already, I'd, 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 I mean, I don't yeah, because there is literally a recording of that cop saying he plants evidence. I mean, I'd yeah. also be like, yeah. oh god. Yeah, it's uh, if you were thinking it was clear cut before, all of a sudden it's probably yeah. Not that's so a clear. real spanner, mm. I got to tell you. Yeah, and this is all going public as well. So externally, America is starting to be really split down racial lines. It sounds like it's something like over seventy percent of white people think he's guilty, and over seventy percent of black people think he's innocent. It's sort of, it's splitting America in half. Wow. I saw, yeah, they said on one of these docos that uh, this is like, the cases just don't happen that are this big with celebrity like that. I said the last one that they could think of that was sort of in the same ballpark was the Lindbergh baby. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Which was quite a while earlier, right, Dave? Yes, a lot, decades, 50, 60 years earlier. The prosecution provided evidence that the gloves were Simpsons. They had someone from Bloomingdale's on the stand, identify the gloves as one of their high-end products in Extra Large. They also produced a signed receipt for the gloves by Nicole Brown Simpson. But when the defence cast doubt about the size of the gloves, prosecutor Darden decided to make a dramatic move and got Simpson to try the gloves on in front of the jury. This was against the wishes of the lead prosecutor, Clark, and was what the defence were hoping the prosecution would do. They were sort of almost goading him into doing something like this. Darden said to Simpson, so there were other options. He could have done it, he could have got Simpson to try him on in the judge's chambers away from the jury. Uh, he didn't have to do it in such a public way. He didn't have to do it at all. So, but the defence um, are happy that they're taking, they're doing this. Yeah, well, and apparently Darden said to Clark, he's like, they're going to do it or we're going to do it. So let's let's control it. And Clark was like, let them do it. Because if they do it, we can tell them all the reasons why it doesn't, that they wouldn't necessarily fit now. Dried blood will change the shape of a glove as as well as all these other reasons. But Darden sort of went against her wishes and he said to Simpson, pull them on, pull them on. You can see this is all on video as well. This was all being played on TV. So... Uh, you see Simpson sort of, he's wearing, firstly, he's wearing latex gloves underneath, I guess, to not contaminate the evidence right. or something. And he starts putting them on as he's sitting down. And then he stands up and starts getting a bit more theatrical about it. On uh, the 30 for 30 documentary, they're like, he's an actor. He's starting to play it up. And he's, you know, he's showing, he's like, mm, I can't. I can't get them. No, nah, they're not fitting. Oh, I can't even move my fingers sort of thing. And he, he says to the jury and to the room, they don't fit, see? They don't fit. Now, there were many reasons why the gloves wouldn't fit properly. Firstly, Simpson was wearing the latex gloves underneath. Yep. You know, that leather over latex gloves is always going to be a bit weird. Getting a latex glove on is impossible. Yeah, exactly. Then putting something over the top of that, I mean, you've got to be a magician. Is OJ a magician? No. Well, that's wow. the, the funny thing about this is there's so many, like any one of these reasons, you go, oh, yeah, that, that's probably reason enough that they wouldn't have fit. So there's one. <laughs> also, Mike Gilbert, who I mentioned before, uh, Simpson's old agent, later told ESPN he suggested to Simpson, when Simpson was getting worried they are going to make him put on the gloves, he suggested to Simpson to stop taking his arthritis medication, which would lead to his hands swelling. 
And that's apparently that's what he did. He didn't take his arthritis medication for a couple of weeks. So that's another also, thing on top of this. He's working out his hands every day. Yeah. Honestly, if I go for a long walk, my hands swell. So I'd just go for a long walk before the trial and then I'd be like, give me those gloves. No, let's do the glove bit now, <laughs> trust me, because they'll go down. What? Nothing. <laughs> He's also wearing like like ten rings on each finger. <laughs> yeah. He will not take them off. He's wearing like a full body suit, including his hands. Like it's like a, he's wearing um, like a, one of those, um, trying to think of one of those films where they wear like a full extra body. Well, he's wearing like, he's wearing like, a, like Fat Bastard's here. costume from Austin Powers. Fat Bastard. Shallow Hell. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yep, they're not fitting. Yeah. <laughs> you it's will, crazy. Can't believe it. Just cannot believe it. He's dressed as Shrek. <laughs> nah, just nah, not happening. I'm so sorry. So. I, I, I wanted, I'm as disappointed as yeah, you. Yeah, I wanted I just want to see you guys happen. He starts trying to put it on his head. Unfortunately. trying to put it on his head. I can't get it on. Yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't even know where do you put gloves I've never on? worn gloves. Why would I own gloves? Ne- I don't even know. Seen them. Well, he clearly doesn't know how to put them on. <laughs> they can't be his. Is this for my feet? Here, I'll put them on my feet. <laughs> sure thing, no worries. Yeah, of course. Oh, I think that's an open shut case right there. <laughs> so there's so there's two things. He's got the latex gloves underneath. Uh, apparently, he stopped taking his arthritis medication. On top of this, they would have shrunk due to dried blood. And then on top of all that, the photos later turned up of Simpson wearing ill-fitting gloves. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't know what size his hands are. <laughs> But all of this uh, was too late because the damage had been done. The jurors saw him struggle. The whole world saw him struggle on video and they're like, oh. And it was an iconic moment. It's been spoofed in different things, including an episode of Seinfeld, I'm pretty sure, where Jackie Childs is uh, representing Kramer. Kramer's going to sue a coffee shop for the coffee being too hot. But then he put a balm on, and Jackie Charles said, "I never told you to put the balm on. Why'd you put the balm on?" Um, Classic. Bit. Is, the, anyway. is that also where that famous line, if "The glove don't fit"? Yes. Sorry if I've jumped ahead. Well, it's not. That's that's what I thought it was as well. What do you think it is? Uh, I've heard, uh, like you know, and it's also one of those things that pop culture parody. If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Which yes. is a great line. Well, I mean that that makes sense because. I, you know, in pop culture, you've got to fill in a bit of the extra information because you don't have the context. But what he actually said in court uh, in his final address right at the end of the trial was, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Oh, gotcha. They didn't, didn't need to put the glove line in because they all knew what he was talking about. But apparently there was a conference call with all the lawyers and one of them came up with it. And, and one of the lawyers was telling the story and they were just like, high-fiving and cheering <laughs> and stuff. We got it. That's <laughs> Which is everything I dream happens when I hear something quite lame. Yeah. I dream that people sit around and say that and then applaud each other. And that happened. Okay. That's apparently so good. Good to know. Uh, according to Famous Charles, uh, on July 10th, 1995, Simpson's daughter Arnell took the stand as the first defence witness. So full on for the kids. Yeah. Firstly, the two kids that um, uh, Simpson had with Nicole were they were staying with Nicole at the time, so they were asleep in that property oh my where God, she died. That's awful. Yeah. That's awful. So awful. Anyway, uh, Simpson's daughter Annelle took the stand as the first defence witness. Now she would be followed by Simpson's sister and his mother Eunice Simpson. By the time Simpson's mother finished her testimony, it was apparent to some courtroom observers 
the jury members were showing more sympathy, sorry, more empathy for the Simpson family than for the families of the victims. As successful as it turned out to be, the defence effort was not without its own miscalculations as well. A lot of the miscalculations I've mentioned have been on the other side, but uh, one of the ones that happened by the defence was Simpson's doctor, Robert Hazinga, testified that OJ, despite looking like Tarzan, was in about as good of a condition as Tarzan's grandfather (laughs) and suffered from arthritis and other problems. The prosecution produced a video, though. So he said, the doctor basically said he he couldn't have committed these murders. He's not in the physical shape to. Okay. He looks like a big, strong guy, and he used to be, but arthritis means he just can't. Um, he, he would not have been able to do that. Whose doctor pays that much attention to them? You know? <laughs> I used to go to the GP who I would go in for test results and he'd go, so what can I do for you? And I'm like, read the screen, man. <laughs> Read the screen. And then one time, talking about migraines, he said, huh, so what should we do? I'm like, okay, all I, right. I was hoping. That's why I'm here. I was hoping you were going to have So why is this doctor like, well, I mean, I have I see him when he needs antibiotics so I can make a, a pretty good pretty good assumption here about his physical abilities. I think you've got to pay the big bucks to get yeah, doctors right. you've to got to, think You've got to get a private you. doctor, Jess, and then they'll start knowing your name. Man, that's good. <laughs> And saying, calling you Tarzan's grandfather in court. Yeah, negging you in court. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, this so guy. That's what the doctor said. Oh, it wouldn't have been like the doctor's like, he couldn't even commit a murder if he wanted to. And OJ's like, yeah, I could. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and I just did. I did. I did a couple of months like, ago. So, oh, God. So, who looks like an idiot now? <laughs> What's that? I've said too much. Anyway, so this is what his doctor said. So the prosecution then soon after produced a video taken just before the murders. The video showed Simpson leading demanding physical exercises. And this was, I think this was for sale. It wasn't even like a pr- private video. It was him. It was like an OJ Simpson fitness, get, let's get fit together video. Especially embarrassing for the defense was a quip on the tape from Simpson as he performed the exercise that consisted in part of punching his arms back and forth. And yeah, I... Jess's expression is right. And embarrassing isn't quite the right word. His quip was, as he's doing the exercise, punching his arms back and forth, oh, no. Simpson suggested people might try this workout with the wife. Yuck. Oh, my Yuck. God. Fuck you. Yuck, you piece of shit. Yuck. You have literally been... What was what was it before he was like he he was he pleaded not no he pleaded guilty yeah no contest no contest spousal abuse spousal abuse and then makes I mean that joke not funny at all in any context especially if you've literally done you piece of shit I can't say I liked him at any point in this report to be honest but that that upset me. It's interesting. The whole thing's interesting because he had a, a lot of friends who at fir- have said since at first they didn't, but they just didn't believe it. It's not who he was, not who they knew. And then as the evidence was coming out, for many it was the DNA. For some, even uh, it was when he fled in the Bronco. Yeah. They're like, "Oh shit, he did do this." Yeah. Anyway, um, this is from True TV. By the time the closing arguments began in Department 103 of the Superior Court, the trial had already broken the long-distance record set by the Charles Manson case as the longest jury trial in California history. 
The jury was by now exhausted after having been sequestered for over nine months. Some others who've um, criticised the defence case said they just didn't know how to edit, self-edit, basically. They gave them too much stuff to the jury, too much stuff to hear that they their eyes were glazing over at times and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I find, like, I remember, like, at uni, a two-hour lecture, I'd have to be in peak physical condition to concentrate for more than 50%. And the... So hard to sit and listen to someone talking. And often lots and the... of jargon and back and forth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah, frequency exactly. with which you partied uh, meant you were never in peak physical condition. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that is a very good point. But I assume <laughs> if I was. <laughs> that I would have retained a lot more. Yeah. So Judge Ito was under attack for allowing the trial to drag on and on and for his seeming inability to keep the lawyers under control. He was also, um, he's been bagged out a bit by being a little bit like he he kind of enjoyed it all a bit the whole the attention of the trial he'd invite celebrities and some big name journalists into his chambers to show them around and have a chat and stuff oh my god <laughs> who's is... that guy with the suspenders and uh he leans in at the table big interviewer in america oh larry <laughs> larry yeah king. larry abda he larry king yeah larry king Visited him in his. He was invited in at some point. Why is no one taking this seriously? It's Two all people very have strange. died. Two people have been murdered. Yeah, and they've seen like the photos and all that. All the evidence they would have had to have seen just be absolutely gruesome. Uh, the True TV article goes on. Uh, Clark and Darden did their best to do damage control on Furman. So this a fit to me. It seems like the Furman stuff is what brought it all undone. One of their their the key cops in it is just totally unbelievable now. He's racist, clearly, on the record, and he is... Um, and there was already this feeling, I think, in LA by the sounds of it, especially in the black community, they're like, LA cops are racist, and now we've heard it very clearly from this guy on tape, just made him think, yeah, I believe that they would have set up OJ Simpson. Mm. And I guess that's why you saw part of the reason why you might have seen those different numbers of who thought he was innocent, who thought he was guilty and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, so Clark and Darden did their best to damage control on Furman, accepting him as a racist. They they said stuff like, he's the worst of the worst. They really, like, they they threw him under the bus, as you probably would expect. Yeah, and as you saying, should. But that doesn't affect the evidence. The evidence is the evidence, right? Uh, the defense did say stuff like they they brought in experts saying that the um, the DNA samples and all that sort of stuff had been contaminated and whatnot, and then the prosecution's like that's not really possible. If it was contaminated, it wouldn't have come back with any result. But this is still coming back with clear results. So they're saying, oh, it's not it was because they also said they mishandled the evidence. They're like it wasn't temperature controlled properly, and um, some of the cops who were in charge of looking after the the samples from the scene did admit that they didn't follow protocols properly. They didn't change their gloves in the right ways. They didn't store the DNA at the right temperature parts and all this sort of stuff. So, I mean, you're listening in the jury to that as well. You'd be like, yeah, I mean, I there's got to be. You, yeah. yeah, it is. It's very tricky. I mean, we know so much more now, but during the trial, uh, yeah, it's hard to know what you would do as a juror, I guess. Apart from the fact that they were sitting there for months at a time. I've just been reading for a few days. Yeah. 
So they, yeah, so they were trying to say, Furman, forget about him. Just think about the evidence. He is bad. We agree. Um, you have a wealth of evidence, Clark told the jurors, and all of this is pointing to one person, the defendant. Christopher Darden, taking the jury step by step through the murder, the Bronco chase and the arrest, ridiculed the idea that the police had banded together to frame Simpson. He pleaded with the jury, weigh the evidence and do the right thing. Johnny Cochran's summation for the defence added more controversy to an already very controversial trial. Cochran hammered away at Furman and the prosecution's case. He referred to Furman as a genocidal racist, a perjurer, America's worst nightmare and the personification of evil. Fuck. And he even went further saying, there was another man not too long ago in this world who had those same views. No. Who wanted people to burn. No. Who had racist views and ultimately (laughs) had power over people in his country. People didn't care. People said, he's crazy. He's just a half-baked painter. Oh, And they didn't do anything about it. This man, this scourge, became one of the worst people in the world. Adolf Hitler. Yeah, we all fucking knew where you were going with it. <laughs> I like the big reveal at the end. <laughs> I'd love to imagine, like, someone in the jury really leaning in going, who the hell? Oh, this my God, you're right. Roll Dahl. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> After the verdict came in, Simpson's original lead attorney, Robert Shapiro, criticised his successor's strategy here, saying, not only did we play the race card, but we dealt it from the bottom of the deck. Um... In the end, after such, and that was very controversial, him using the Hitler stuff. In the end, after such a long trial, it only took the jury three hours of deliberation to reach their verdict. So not, normally it would could take days and Weeks who knows and, Yeah. Uh, this is how the New York Times reported it at the time. Orenthal James Simpson, a man who overcame the spindly legs left by a childhood case of rickets to run to fame and fortune, surmounted a very different sort of obstacle today. When a jury of 10 women and two men cleared him of charges that he murdered his former wife and one of her friends. The verdict, coming 16 months after Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald L. Goldman was slashed to death in in the front yard of Mrs. Simpson's condominium and after nine months of what often seemed like interminable testimony. Interminable? It's a word I've never said before, apparently. I don't know it. Seemed like interminable testimony, sidebars, and high-priced legal bickering was reached in the end with breathtaking speed. When it was read, much of the nation, President Clinton included, stopped work to listen to it. And with the Simpson verdict, as with the Simpson case, the nation once more divided, largely along racial lines. So too did defence lawyers, with the one-time chief of Mr Simpson's legal team, Robert L. Shapiro, criticising his successor, as I just mentioned before. In a scene that lent a certain symmetry to the entire Simpson saga, Mr. Simpson immediately returned to the freeways of Los Angeles in a white van, and as fans waved from the streets, he headed back to his home at 360 North Rockingham Avenue, while a dozen helicopters flew overhead, and fans festooned the fence with roses and balloons. He was met by A.C. Cowling's, who had been in the driver's seat of the white Ford Bronco on June 17th, five days after the killings. Mr. Simpson pursed his lips, gulped a few times, and wore a forced painted grin as Deidre Robertson, Robertson, the law clerk to Judge uh, Ito, read the verdict. Mrs. Robertson tripped over Orenthal. Oh, honestly, 
Mrs. Robertson, you can't trip over words and key moments Come like on. that. Come on. This is important. You've got to be a professional about this. You get one chance. Uh, but she did not trip over what came next. Not guilty. I mean, I haven't been really building the suspense of this. I'm assuming everyone knows that, that how that's how it ended. Maybe Quite someone famous. listening somewhere is like, <gasps> what? It is pretty uh, mind-blowing. When, when she uttered those words, Mr. Simpson's body instantly uncoiled. He then breathed a sigh of relief and a faint smile appeared. As Mrs. Robertson's recitation continued, in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony upon Nicole Brown Simpson, a human being, Mr. Simpson waved at the panellists and mouthed the words, thank you. The reading then unfolded again with the name Ronald L. Goldman, substituted for Mrs. Simpson. Mr. Simpson embraced his chief, chief lawyer, Johnny Cochran Jr., and silently thanked and rethanked the jury again. Apparently, um, the defence team knew that it was going to be not guilty when a couple of the jurors came out. One of them winked at OJ. Oh. And one of them was smiling at him. They're like, oh, I think we're. Oh, I think we've well, done there's it. that line in To Kill a Mockingbird that I did on Book Cheat a few weeks ago where uh, Scout r- recalls being the daughter of a lawyer and the whole thing's about, um, uh, you know, a trial. And it says that a, a jury never looks a man in the eye that they're, that they're about to say is guilty. Right. And then she knew that, yeah, that someone's going to get off when they didn't look him in the eye. <laughs> right. So, according to famous trials, we're. Um, sorry. This has been a longish one, a lot of chunks of text here, but uh, we're coming up towards the end. But, yeah, there's a bit that's gone on after this for Simpson, so I'll just sort of um, summarise some of that. According to famous trials, Simpson announced after the verdict that he would devote the rest of his life to tracking down the real killers of his ex-wife. fuck off. But he would soon be preoccupied with a civil trial. The trial, held in Santa Monica, would take just three months and would produce a very different result. Simpson was forced to testify, clumsily trying to explain the unexplainable. Photos showing Simpson wearing the size 12 Bruno Magli shoes that he claimed not to own turned up in the newspaper, then in others. So, you know, those boots? Yeah, that he said were ugly-ass shoes. But they yeah. got him he, too, late, he would never wear. too late for the criminal trial, though. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, the judge in the civil trial, Hiroshi Fujisaki, proved he was no Lance Ito and prevented the Simpson defence from introducing fanciful theories of a top-to-bottom conspiracy. After 17 hours of deliberation, the jury concluded, using the preponderance of the evidence test applicable in civil cases, so they don't, it's not beyond reasonable doubt in civil cases, they just need it. It's, it's not quite as a higher bar. Uh, so after that, the jury concluded that OJ Simpson had wrongfully caused the death of Ronald Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson. The jury ordered Simpson to pay compensatory damages of $8.5 million and punitive damages of $25 million. Under California law, however, Simpson can continue to survive on the $25,000 a month income from a judgment-proof pension fund. They can't touch that, apparently. In 2000, Simpson moved to Miami, Florida. Florida is one of the few states where assets such as homes and pensions cannot be seized to pay civil liabilities from other states. So he's basically... He's found loopholes to not pay any of the money. Fucking piece of shit. Allegedly. <laughs> to, well, I think, yeah. Now, I mean, at this stage, you're a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, he has been ordered to pay the money and he's not paying it, so that's pretty bad. Yeah. That's real bad. That's really bad. Two, and it gets weirder 
to me in 2006. He, he announced that he was going to stop at some about 10 years later. He said, I'm not, I'm not searching for the murder anymore. Uh, in 2006, a publisher announced a book written by O.J. Simpson, or at least ghostwritten for him, called If I Did It. Mm-hmm. The publisher told the Associated Press, this is an historic case, and I consider this his confession. In the book, Simpson describes angrily confronting Nicole and Ronald Goldman at Nicole's condo the night of the murder, knife in his hand. Then he writes, something went horribly wrong, and I know what happened, but I can't tell you exactly how. He continues, the whole front of me was covered in blood, but it didn't compute. Interestingly, in Simpson's account of the murder, he describes himself as being accompanied to the condo by a friend named Charlie, who was shocked by the bloody turn of events. On the way back to Simpson's home, Charlie said, Jesus Christ, OJ, Jesus Christ, and buried his face in his hands. No one knows who this Charlie is, but it's just a, that's, that's all a hypothetical fictional telling of if I'd done it, which is, well, obviously what someone would do about their ex-wife's murder. He's an absolute fucking psychopath. I mean, if he, even if he didn't do the murder, that is so wrong. <laughs> It's so wrong. Quite a bizarre call on any level. It's so strange. Who the fuck would publish that ethically? I know publishers would go, we'll publish it because if we don't, someone else will, and this could make us a lot of money. But ethically, how do you give that the thumbs up? Well, um, someone had, but the announcement of the book was met with a barrage of criticism. Ron Goldman's sister, Kim Goldman, on CNN's Larry King Live, expressed the outrage of victims, saying, he's telling us one more time, I'm going to continue to get away with killing your family members and I'm not going to honour the... and I'm not going to honour the judgement and look at me, ha, ha, ha. The criticism... Yeah, like, I mean, imagine being yeah, the family of the victims would just be like, holy shit, this, this is a never-ending. Yeah. The criticism caused Harper Collins, quite a big publisher, to recall the book, a court seized the book as an asset to pay off Simpson's civil damages and the book was retitled If I Did It, Confessions of the Killer and the if on the cover was printed super small mm. and the money from that went to pay off the money that he owed from the civil trial. Right, so he didn't actually get to profit from it. Yeah, that's right. Then in November of 2018, Fox aired a show called, it's like a, a special, it's a bit of a tacky sort of thing but it was kind of interesting as well. It's called O.J. Simpson, The Last Confession, question mark. In the special, a clip is shown from, the 2000, uh, from 2006 where he's being interviewed by publisher Judith Regan uh, and then a panel discusses it as well. And th- this was an interview around the time of the book and it was going to be to help um, publicise the, the book. In the interview, he talks Regan through what happened on June 12, 1994 Before he describes what happened, though, he clarifies by saying he's just talking hypothetically. Yeah. Uh, This this is from a New York Times article about the special. In the six minutes in which he talks about the murders, he describes being on the scene with a friend named Charlie, whom the panel believes was just a voice inside his head. It's all very odd. That said, when Simpson describes grabbing a knife, I do remember that part, he says, which is a weird thing to say about a hypothetical. (laughs) Hypothetically, I do remember that part. Yeah, and recalls seeing copious amounts of blood. It doesn't sound all that hypothetical, the New York Times suggests. He goes on to say, I just remember Nicole fell and hurt herself, and this guy kind of got into a karate thing. And I said, well, you think you can kick my ass? And I remember I grabbed a knife. I do remember that portion. 
taking the knife from Charlie. And to be honest, after that, I don't remember except I'm standing there and there's all this kind of stuff around and, and Judith Reed, Regan says, what kind of stuff? And Simpson says, blood and stuff around. Regan also asks, you write about removing a glove before taking the knife from Charlie. And Simpson replies, you know, I had no conscious memory of doing that, but obviously I must have because they found the glove there. Hypothetically. So it's like, it's obviously sort of a, admitted to it, right? But he's just done it in a way that it legally... And is it double jeopardy and stuff? Like he can't be tried because he's been found not guilty? I'm but I thought you can't be convicted of the same thing twice. Hmm. I'm pretty sure if you're found not guilty, you can't be tried again, but I'll, it probably depends on jurisdictions and that sort That's of stuff. That's fucked. That's completely fucked. It's, um, it's, yeah, I guess maybe the def- uh, the prosecution could have moved for a mistrial or something if they had any grounds to, and then could have had a retrial. But I don't think yeah. once you get to the but I'm, yeah, I might be wrong. Otherwise, the other side of that is you get someone who is just being charged with the same murder over and over and he's incarcerated in the meantime. It's like, but I just, you got to prove I'm guilty, but you know what I mean? It's, it's a real tricky thing. Oh, yeah. I'm not pretending to be an expert on the law. I'm basing that entirely on the film Double Jeopardy starring Ashley Judd. <laughs> uh, that's all I know about it as well. <laughs> I saw that by myself in gold class. But surely if you then, <laughs> were you, were you, after were you, buying yourself, did you get a yeah, curry Yeah, why are you eating then? a curry? That's the question. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the curry was during uh, one of those Mockingbird shows. Oh, Hunger Games. Hunger Games. God, I speak Matt Stewart. I had um, no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's like before when he said the guy in the suspenders who leans over the table. <laughs> <laughs> We got there. I haven't had a lot of sleep, all I right? I know. And Normally do- I'm very articulate. You're doing very well. But anyway, yeah, that, well, that- it, it's just, sorry, it's just so perplexing that he's come out basically afterwards and he, he's doing speaking engagements and writing a fucking book about how he did it and you can't do anything about yeah. it. That's insane. Yeah, it, should, it feels like there should be a loophole unless they've clearly admitted to it. Unless they're being a real arrogant prick about it, in which case trial them again. <sighs> Yeah, so, I, and he, I, you know, Jack Drews, great Melbourne comedian, friend, he used to do a bit about it where um, he's like, after all this, he did a prank show called Juiced. So he, he'd dress up in costumes and, and it's sort of like a punk show. No. Isn't that, is that weird? real or Jack that's Drews terrible. is making a joke? No, that's a real thing. Oh. That's a, the Jack Drews bit is like, hey, it's not actually an old man, it's me. Killer, O.J. Simpson. Far like that's out. The weirdest surprise is that you're, yeah, it's Just standing very, next very to a bizarre. murderer. Very bizarre stuff. I butchered that bit. Uh, luckily, Jack does not listen to this show. <laughs> Do yourself a favour. Go see him when he's allowed to perform again. Um, yeah, so um, that's, uh, that's sort of the end of my report. Uh, if I did it, if I completed it with a bit more time, I would have, finish with uh, something more positive. Right. Well, I think he has been to jail since, right? So, yeah, Dave, good point. There is um, uh, maybe some better news if you're looking for some justice for OJ Simpson. He found it in a sort of strange way. He, didn't, he never was really brought to justice for the murders. But years later, in 2008, Simpson uh, was found guilty of conspiracy to kidnap and armed robbery in Las Vegas. It was this strange story about um, stealing sports memorabilia that he said was his, he actually owned 
And yeah, he was found guilty on all 12 charges after more than 13 hours of deliberations. Interestingly, so much more deliberations about the stolen memorabilia than there was over the murders. <laughs> yeah, the tri- that trial began 13 years to the day after he was cleared of the double murder. Uh, so he could have spent up to 30-something years behind bars, but he ended up getting parole after nine years. So he's he's out again now. But, yeah, he did spend a chunk of time behind bars and he's, when was he born? In the late 40s. So, you know, he's in his mid-70s now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that that makes me feel a tiny bit better. Yeah. And it, it does feel a little bit like, he, he even though it's not how it should be, it feels a little bit like, um, this was almost like a s- slight square up for what he got away with. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, absolutely. You go. Yeah. You've gone to jail for nine years for stealing memorabilia. I know it was uh, there was armed robbery, and there were different reasons mm. why it was seen as a more serious crime. But the difference between the two is like, wow, that's yeah. One is murdering cold blood. Yeah, the other is stealing a few. Posters or something. Just... I know it's more complicated than that. But... <laughs> Stealing a couple of little posters. Yeah, it's yeah. absolute batshit. Um, I feel so bad for his kids. Yeah. That'd be I, really uh, hard. Everything about that's absolutely rough. Yeah. Far um, out. But do you know what, though? I obviously knew, you know, I, I, I knew the the bones of the story, but I think just so much of my opinion was just based in, like, pop culture references and just the way people would talk about, oh, well, he definitely did it and stuff like that. So it was really interesting to hear the details of the case. I didn't know a lot about, yeah, there was lots I didn't know. So that was fucking unreal. Yeah, and I think if it wasn't for, I mean, if he still just admitted that or he still just said, no, I never never did it, he didn't write those books and stuff, there would probably still be some doubt. Yeah. You're like, that cop, What? like who knows what he did? Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it would have been a wild amount of conspiracy of the whole police force. No one ever broke on it. Like, it would be very unlikely, I would think. Yeah. But, uh, but then to but come out and write a book saying that you remember holding a knife and you remember yeah. being there. like Hypothetically. Hypothetically. It's, that's batshit crazy. It does seem very bizarre to me. Ugh. Anyway, what a way to kick off block. That <laughs> yeah. is an absolute blockbuster Topic that's been suggested probably ever since we started. I gotta say, doing I it's been in the hat since the very beginning. So it's great to kick off block with a uh, genuinely often requested topic. So great report, Matt. Really, yeah, well done, Maddie. And thanks for a huge thanks. mammoth story, yeah. and you and you did really well. Pulling an all night. I was nervous that I wasn't going to capture it all, and potentially, we'll, I imagine the following week will be people going to. You didn't talk about this, this yeah. <laughs> which is always fun. I mean. A, uh, especially if it's written to me politely, I'm like, oh, that's cool new information. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, well, I mean, we did spend two hours talking about it, so it's not like we really... But there, I bet there's often something someone will say, oh, this is interesting you didn't say this. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> I did not know about that. That is a that is a good point. Um, anyhow, it is probably time for us to thank a few of our patrons in what I think of as the best part of this show, the fact quote or question section, which has a little jingle. Fact, quote or question. Ding. He always remembers the ding. And in this section, we thank a few patrons who support us on the Sydney Scheinberg Deluxe Memorial Edition level, which you can find at patreon.com slash do go on pod. If you support us on there, you get all sorts of 
Uh, rewards, depending on the level you choose, including bonus episodes, we do three extra episodes a month. This month, we did a report on a really interesting Japanese crime uh, where someone stole 300 million yen, mm. which isn't as much as it sounds, but still a lot of money. So much money. And it was one of the cool, like one of the smartest robberies I've ever heard, Definitely. I reckon. Just so genius in its simplicity. Yeah. But uh, so if you want to check that out, please do. But this part is where we get a one of our great patrons to give us a fact, a quote, or a question. I'm going to go through a few today. I don't read them out till I read them out. This first one is from Jacoby Angel. Dave always corrects me on the pronunciation. Is that about Nailed right? Nailed it this time. Ah, oh, yes. And Jacoby has given himself the title, oh, it's longish, writer, director, actor, producer, executive producer, cinematographer, editor, scriptor, but... Script supervisor, I'm falling apart. Costume designer, gaffer, best boy, key grip, sound mixer, boom operator, art designer, casting director, distributor, and craft services of the Do Go On movie. Wow. wow. Like you are taking on there, too Jacobi. much. Yeah, right. honestly, uh, delegation is your best friend. Mm. <laughs> Let's spread that out a bit. I noticed that we're going to have to organise our own extras, but okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Fuck, we have to do everything around here. Uh, it's actually a bit disappointing, <laughs> Jacoby, but we'll <laughs> let it slide. Um so Jacoby has asked a question. He says, I'm trying to get this movie made, but I've got to pitch it first and the studio heads like it's simple. Can each of you give me a description of the Dugan movie by using other films? Example, it's Casino Royal meets Iron Man or the classic Die Hard on a insert alternative setting. Make it good. They say Sydney's interested in collaborating. Oh, wow. Ooh. Okay, I'm listening. So how do we pitch this movie? Okay, what are movies about friendship? What about like... Finding Nemo. Yeah. What about um, it's got like the uh, feel of the of Wayne's World. You know, it's a couple of people come together making our own yeah. little, little show. Yes. And then like yes. Hollywood comes a knocking. Yes. Yeah, I like that. Wayne's World meets Finding Nemo. Is that what we're thinking? Yes. I think so, yeah. So it's... Because we're trying to find my son. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we must travel to Sydney, which for the fish... Long distance for us, quite an easy flight once we're allowed to fly. So, what about what about Finding Nemo meets Wayne's World meets Little Orphan Annie? Oh right? yeah. So now all of a sudden, instead of Nemo, um, his dad trying to find him, it's uh, his fake parents, Rooster and whoever the other one was, mm -hmm. and, and instead of smelling wet dog, Daddy Warbuck smells. Wet fish. Yes. Okay, so we're fish yes. in this film. We are fish. Oh, no, but if Sydney wants to be involved, then should we be gorilla? Chimpanzees. Chimpanzees. We are chimpanzees. No, he hates chimpanzees. Okay, we are dogs. We're dogs. And and we're all called Lorraine. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if we that. could have um, Arnold Schwarzenegger make a cameo, I just really want to meet him. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be Thanks. good, yeah. All right, great. Well, I hope that answers your question. And, I think um, that's good. That's great. a strong uh, And the pitch. budget, $180 million. Yes. Jacoby, you can workshop that. I mean, trim out any of the fat you need to. Definitely happy to leave a lot of that or those decisions up to you. Yeah, but I will not share a trailer. No. I will with Arnie only. <laughs> uh, the next one comes from Sophie Tutor. And Sophie Tutor is the head of it administration, Swaps Division. Oh, yeah, on our Patreon group on Facebook, 
Sophie runs the. There's these mail swaps they've been doing. Yeah, did a snack swap recently. What a lovely community. So, so Such nice. a nice idea, and people have absolutely loved it and been posting pictures of all the snacks they've received. It's been so nice. I've been loving seeing those photos. So they're doing cool. a, I love snacks. They're doing another one uh, early next year, I believe, that she's organising for books. Oh, that's oh, great. Well, that's what the question looks like it's about. Oh. So here's Sophie's question. I'm running a new book swap on the Patreon <laughs> Facebook page. Hey, we don't read them till he reads them. <laughs> uh, you can send any book, not just the book you would consider your favourite. What book would you send and why? Oh, great question. Oh, that's hard. Hmm. Just, I'm luckily sitting next to a bookshelf. I think yeah. I'd probably send uh, War and Peace and then say... You- can you please write like a book cheat report on this so I don't have to and then I'll do an episode on it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's smart. That's real smart. Um, I mean, Dave, you mentioned your book cheat episode uh, of To Kill a Mockingbird. That's that's one of my favourite books. But, I mean, a lot of people have read it. I know you and, and your guests had not. That's right. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have. But then there are people out there that haven't. And maybe you have established that first if they have. Pardon me, if they haven't. Yeah. That's a tough one. I I I have lots of books that I've enjoyed reading, but sometimes when you put on the spot, it's like I've forgotten every book I've ever read. I'm going to say Smithereens by Sean McAuliffe. It's a, oh. it's a collation of uh, short stories that he wrote. I think often they were from um, newspaper, they were published in newspapers and they were collated a while back. That one or maybe a Working Class Man, the second Jimmy Barnes autobiography in which one of the chapters is called Countdown (laughs) because the opening line is (laughs) 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 which he he does in the audio book. So good. (laughs) A masterpiece. Dave, you've obviously read a lot of books. This must be a hard one for you. Uh, um, I uh, I did say War and Peace. Oh, you said War and Peace. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Great, great I suggestion, wasn't great question. <laughs> but I'd also probably send uh, Of Mice and Men, which I love. It's been my favourite one I've done on a book cheat and that way you get to pick either the thinnest classic or the thickest classic. It's up to oh, you. Great. Smart. Yeah, I loved Of Mice and Men. Good Beautiful one. Beautiful book. I'm looking forward to seeing the results of that in photos, Sophie Chuta. Yeah. And Sophie's, if you, here's a hot tip, if I do say your name wrong, you can always include the phonetical version of it in there like Sophie has because I've been calling her Sophie Shooter. But it's Tutor. Tutor. There you go. Thank you for Which you'd assume would be spelled like Tudor. We say Tudor Tudor, but she spells Tudor Shooter. Uh-huh. But it's Tudor. Okay. Which sounds like Tudor to me. Yeah. But it's actually Tudor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. And how many hours <laughs> sleep have you had? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next one comes from Julian Barnes, and Julian's given himself the title lead choreographer for Dugon Presents. Keep on going on a four-hour musical extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> Dave must hate that oh. idea. Is this the kind of musical you get around though? Uh, if it's about me, yeah, <laughs> I'm interested. <laughs> Julian also asked a question. It's all questions this week. This one is. What is the best way to show someone without words that you love them? Oh, a hug. I mean, come on, a hug oh. is so nice. Oh, but you okay. can hug you can hug lots of people. Yeah, but I th- Oh yeah, but it's not necessarily asking about romantic love. And and naked. But I hug. feel naked I always hug. just thought it was like love to like, you know, a friend, family member. And right now I feel like, you know, it's been the longest time that I haven't hugged 
you know, my parents in my life. Yeah. I'm really missing it. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like remembering, just listening and remembering things. Yes. So here's what you actually need to do is you need to um, send them a link to uh, what love language oh, are you? Oh, love languages. Yes. Words of affirmation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, great. Yeah, so you need to figure out how they... Because some people like action, some people like words, some people like gifts. Quality time. Some people like you just to do things, like, you know, just not having to be directed to do the washing or whatever, just do them. That makes some people happy. You need to figure out what their love language is and then enact that. I feel like I've heard you talk about love language before and never never asked you what it meant. And that's interesting. I haven't heard of that beyond the term love language. That's Fascinating stuff. So everyone has a different one. Yeah, everyone's a different. Can it tell me what my one is if I look it up? Yeah. It's like as a quiz and it'll tell you. Yeah, you answer like, yeah, you answer questions. I mean, I don't know if I believe it 100%, but it's just a nice way of basically thinking about how you communicate with different people and different people like different things. So you have to kind of adjust from person to person. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Some people you can tell them every day, I love you so much. And they're like, whatever. You give them a hug and they're like, oh, you love me or you do things for them or you buy gifts or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Hmm. Nice one. Hopefully that works, Julian. Jess has just given you a link to click on. <laughs> Google love languages. And if that, all that stuff is just hug them. Hug them. So, Dave, you are them. basically just like a, a pup. Like you just like words of affirmation. You just like praise. Good boy. Yeah, I love that. But I was, no, I also like uh, quality time, I think. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Love a bit of quality time. And I mean, oh. everyone loves. Yeah, to be honest, none, Like, everyone likes yeah, all that, of that's them. That's the thing, that none of them are, you dislike. Yeah. I'm never going to be like, oh, you bought me a gift. You must hate yeah. me. Um, <laughs> but it's just to varying degrees. That was actually a sincere answer in a way. I sort of started as a joke, but that probably is a good way to show someone you love them. Is figure out how they like that to be expressed to hmm. them. Totally. That makes sense to me for sure. Uh, final one for this week is from Jordan Nassi. Here's another, everyone's given themselves a long title, apart <laughs> from Sophie Tutor. This uh, Jordan's one is long again. Chairman of the Canadian branch of the Shapes Appreciation Club the, and union rep, also the owner, CEO, <laughs> CEO, accountant, mascot, lawyer, king, and ruler oh. of the most longest titles club. Oh. Well done. I think you did just beat out Jacoby. Um, so I have a funny feeling that Jordan maybe got some shapes in one of those snack swaps. Yeah, they seem to be like a, a pretty uh, a recurring Aussie. If you were getting sent some gifts from Australia, a lot of shapes seem to be turning up. People are loving them. But people yeah, sitting... well, how would you describe shapes to someone who doesn't know? They're kind of like a box of little crackers oh God, with little, flavors on them. They're a little box of heaven. That's what they are. We call them savoury biscuits. Like but crackers. Biscuits mean different things elsewhere. Crackers. Yeah. Flavoured crackers. Fucking delicious. Yeah, you got barbecue flavour, pizza, Yum. pizza, nacho. Yeah. There's just plain savoury cheese, cheese and bacon. Vegemite. Vegemite. Uh-huh. Some great stuff there. Uh, pizza, my favourite. Me too. Personally. I'm a barbecue girl myself. Barbecue's classic. That would be up there on the podium for me as well. Vegemite. Mm-hmm. Shooting up the charts with a bullet. I like. I think number two for me is the cheese ones. Uh, yeah, no. cheddar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cheddar. cheddar. Sorry. Yes. Okay, cheddar. I'm listening. Yeah, I thought yeah, you meant yeah. the savory ones. I was a late, uh, late uh, appreciator of cheddar, and boy, am I making up for it. 
<laughs> Eating your body weight every year in cheddar now. <laughs> and Jordan's question is, uh, what is the best gift you have ever received? Bonus fact about the incredible... Insp- oh. Oh, no, Jordan's trying to squeeze in a fact. Ah, it's fact, quote, or question. No, I'm Mm. kidding. Go for it. uh, Fact is about amazing Terry Fox. In 1979, Terry began training for his Marathon of Hope across Canada run to raise money for cancer research and awareness. During his training, he runs over 5,000 kilometres. That seems like a long way. That's massive. Terry Terry Fox. Terry Fox name. is in the hat as, uh, yeah, I, and, I, and plenty, I think a few times. Mm, I think there's still yeah, like right. a... I think he might have even been in the Blocktober. Oh, right. Hat. So who knows? Maybe he's coming up in the next few weeks. Best uh, gift you've ever received? Jeez. Um, how about my you. life? Oh, okay. oh, the gift You're welcome. Thanks, You're Mum welcome. and Dad. You're welcome. I gave it to you. <laughs> you gave that to me? Yeah. Oh, my God. My parents have been taking credit. I'm so sorry, Dave. That is absolutely bullshit. I know, gifts, that's hard. Probably for my 13th birthday, I got given a bass guitar by my parents, a little practice amp, and that's when we formed Weed Hornet, and I got years and years of musical fun based on that. So I think that would be it. It it set off about 10 years of, you know, the next 10 years of my life from that moment probably, yeah. That's great. I'll I'll say, (laughs) because it's the first thing that came to my mind, I reckon... I got, I remember getting Where's Wally 3. <laughs> Love it. And the last page was like all Wallies and you had to find Wally amongst the Wallies. Oh, wow. Or Waldos if you're from America. I like Wally better. Wally was the original I found out. Oh. I always assumed. It's, isn't it funny when they, they're like, well, Americans can't handle Where's Wally. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make it sound weirder with a name that doesn't That's exist. That's not a name. That's where's not a Wally? name, is it? Waldo. Waldo, no. But then the interesting thing is they've created an arch nemesis for him called Oddlaw, which is Waldo backwards. Oh, yeah. And even in the ones with the normal Where's Wally, he's called Oddlaw in that as well. Hmm. So a bit of give and take That's a good there. one. Um, uh, a gift that I use every day is a, a little Nespresso pod machine. I got a coffee machine for my birthday a couple of years ago and, oh, man, I love it very much. But I think also another... Um, Another one that stood out was for my 21st, my grandma gave me this tiny, tiny little cup and saucer. It was basically almost like a toy cup and saucer. And it turns out it's been in the family, well, back then, for about like 140 years or something. Like yes, she, she, yes. That is cute as well. <laughs> It's very cute. But, yeah, she, like, she gave me a card and she sort of, where, how far back she could trace it. And it had been in the family for a really, really long time. So that was very nice. Where is it now? Oh, that's so cool. Uh, it'd be at mum and dad's house. I'm like, I don't trust myself <laughs> yeah, to look after enough. something. You're not having, I'm like, mum. Your morning espresso. <laughs> I, lo- I do love those <laughs> Love those sort of gifts. I've got I got a plate from my, um, my pop. He got given after serving in the Second World War and his initial as M. Stewart as well. Oh, so yeah. um, I got given that. Which is kind of cool, and yeah, recently Mum gave me a little badge from her dad, which is like like a just a it just says Brian like his name on it. That's nice. That's, What's yeah. your Brian's name? <laughs> um, my uh, and just one more quick one as well because it's just reminded me. My so my grandma's sister, so my great aunt, she passed away when I was about four or something, and then when I did my um, 
first communion when you're like nine or ten at school, uh, my grandma found that her sister, who we called Carney, had put aside this little... She worked in the circus. <laughs> She'd put aside these like pink, um, really pretty rosary beads and she she wrote my name on them like she was hot, she was saving them for my first communion and so I opened them and I was like oh they're nice and then I look up and my mum and all of her sisters and there's so many of them were all just a bit glassy eyed because it was so because they loved this auntie so much so that was oh, nice too that's so nice yeah I think I got given a I got given my nana gave me rosary beads probably for the same thing uh, I've still got them yeah somewhere somewhere <laughs> again at mum's house. They'll be in a drawer. <laughs> they'll, I be in, they'll be. I've in got a, a couple of boxes box. of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's nice, and it's nice that those are kind of sentimental things too. Yeah, I I love giving presents. I love presents. I love Christmas. Yeah, it's not too that's far a love away. language, man. That is a love language. Yeah, you love. Right. That's how you love to express love. <laughs> I love love. I love love. And I'll make no apologies for that. Nor should you. Uh, I remember I did the, said that in a best man speech I once made. I said. Guys, can I live with you? I love love. <laughs> How'd that go down? Yeah, I think they, I think half the room was with me. Boo! <laughs> 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 Dave wasn't. He... Yeah, he's a notoriously hard uh, person to perform for. <laughs> yes. Hey, we still have to thank a few more patrons. Jess, you normally give us a bit of a game for this. What do you reckon this week? Well, I mean, given the topic... It's a little bit hard, but I was thinking maybe we could name the title of their tell-all memoir, their hypothetical (laughs) tell-all memoir. Awesome. Well, if I may kick it off, I would love to thank from New York, the greatest shitty in the world. I don't know, I just started being Alan Coulter there. Is that? I'm just looking for the city. It wasn't. Worth a try. (laughs) Uh, from <laughs> God, that would have been good. From Leicester in Great Britain, I'd love to thank Will Price. Will Price, and his book is called. Oh, I mean, come on! I know, I know. I'm, I'm trying. What about something like sometimes the price is right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go yeah. something like that, you know? Yes, wonderful. Yeah, great. And what's it about? It's um how he hypothetically, uh, hypothetically. Would price, <laughs> embez- yeah, he'd, pr- he'd embezzle money and then he priced families out of neighborhoods by yeah. upping all the rent. <laughs> Actually, but he's like only hypothetically. hypothetically. Oh, <laughs> this is hypothetical, Will. We're not saying you did this. We're saying hypothetically. If- hypothetically, you write a book saying, "Yeah, I bought a lot of apartments and I left them vacant, <laughs> even though I knew people needed places to live." Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much, Thanks, Will, Price. and for your hypothetical honesty there. <laughs> I'd also love to thank from Raby in New South Wales, Australia, Zach Zelinsky. Zach Zelinsky, ZZ. Wow. You'd be very rare, ZZ. Love that. Is there something in that? ZZ. Something sleepy. Oh, um, oh, uh, okay. Uh... Uh, shooting my way to the ZZ Top. Oh. Oh, yeah, great. That is good stuff. Are, they, are these all sort of hypothetical um, admissions? Yeah, but or this one's, by shooting, it's actually a, a, a memoir about his journey as a photographer. 
and becoming one of the top photographers in the country. But he was actually, the whole time he told his family he was actually just going to the shops. Yeah. So so when he left for months at a time on tour um, and came back and said, oh, the the queues there at the supermarket were You would not believe. (laughs) And they believed him. So and they but they started going. Are you sh- why are you wearing ZZ Top Tour merch all the time? <laughs> and he's like, no reason. And they're like, we're pretty sure you're going on tour to shoot ZZ Top. And he's like, nah. And then he writes this book. And they're like, and sort of we asked you plainly about this. <laughs> <laughs> it was point blank. But oh, nah, 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 nah. This is just if I did. You just inspired me to tell this story. Go on tour with them. This is what it would have been. Yes. Like. But you've got photos in there. <laughs> photos you You're took. You're in them. Hypothetically. Oh, hypothetically, <laughs> I photoshopped them in. Uh, thank you so much, Zach Zelinski. And I'd also love to thank from Wirral <laughs> in Great Britain, Harry that's... Worrell. Harry Worrell from Wirral. Wirral, that is it. That's, is that, that's got to be one of the old timers, doesn't it? That's Whirl great. From... Harry Worrell from Wirral. It almost seems like your family's from there. You name the town and you're like, I don't want this celebrity anymore. <laughs> I'm going to do a subtle change. Harry Worrell from, from Wirral. Uh, okay, I think uh, Harry Worrell wrote the book, I Rode That Pig. <laughs> no, no, if, if I, I rode, rode That, that Pig. pig. <laughs> but the if is very small. <laughs> very small. <laughs> and then... I almost didn't see it then. And then the cover is a photo of him riding the pig, so it's like, I'm pretty yeah. sure you did. <laughs> yeah. But if I did, I think it would have gone a little something like this. <laughs> it's a children's book. It's a short one. It's just mostly pictures. It's very cute. <laughs> big pig. Very big pig. Thank you, Harry. Rideable sized pig. <laughs> Great book, Harry. Harry Worrell from Wirral is so fun and I'll be saying that all That's night. That's so Wirral. good. Especially as it'll become increasingly delirious today. May I thank Harry some people Worrell as from well? Wirral. Harry Worrell from Wirral. <laughs> Harry Worrell from Wirral. Harry, 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 Harry Worrell from Wirral. A Harry Worrell from Wirral he was, he was a Wirral from, he was, he was a Worrell from Wirral he was. Oh, my God. You need a nap. Worrell he was, he really, really was. <laughs> um, Can someone mute my mic from your end? <laughs> no. I think, Dave, you probably actually can. Um, <laughs> and I've done it. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to thank some people as well. I would love to thank from Cicero, Illinois, I-L, Illinois, surely. Yeah. Who unmuted you? (laughs) Um, I would love to thank Stephen Carino. Stephen Carino from Cicero. Cicero. That's in Chicago. That... um, that's how I knew how to pronounce it. If I've done it right, um, it's because of the musical Chicago. Oh, yeah, right. I see. Okay. If I burnt down the Hindenburg. If, if I burnt down the Hindenburg. <laughs> hypothetically, this is how I would have burnt down the Hindenburg. Oh, I've burnt it down, hypothetically. Hypothetically. I remember burning down that <clears throat> big old blimp thing that, or whatever it was. That's one thing I do remember. Hypothetically. Yeah. Hypothetically. <laughs> Stephen, wow, that's one of the most famous events of the 20th century and you were hypothetically yeah. at the centre of it. Amazing. Um, so thank you, Stephen. I would also love to thank from Lowstoff in Suffolk, I would love to thank Sean Fenn. Oh. oh. You reckon this is Sean Penn trying to keep it low-key? Is, is this yeah. Sean Penn's pen name? Sean Penn? <laughs> yeah. 
If I was Sean Penn. <laughs> if I was Sean Penn. It's his nom de pen. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't work. Sean Penn. <laughs> if I was Sean Penn. I mean, I think that that's straight to the top of the New York Times bestsellers. Just Hypothetically, if I was Sean Penn. So we just love to thank you, um, Sean Fenn. I'm winking as I say that because obviously we know who you really are. But... <laughs> How often do you reckon he gets his, what's your name, Sean Fenn? Sean Penn. Sean Penn. No, Sean yeah. Fenn. He gets that all the time and he was hoping that when his shout-out eventually came around um, that it wouldn't be something tedious <laughs> that he gets all the time and yet here we are, Sean Fenn. I'm so sorry. But, so thank but you. But it's a great read, I've got to tell you. Great read. So, so great. I'd also love to thank, finally for me, from West Sussex, I'd love to thank Harry Pledger. Oh, what an that's a cracking name. Harry, oh, I'm Harry Pledger. No, it's me, Harry Pledger. That's probably <coughs> oh, not no, how you sound. Pleased to meet you, I'm Harry Pledger. All right, if I was a rich man. No, 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 Is it just a book about the things he would, what he would do if he was, if he won the lottery? Like, you know how everyone yeah. has, like a th- has theories, but he's written a 900-page word. It's just a and list. It, and people read and they're like, but you've got all that stuff. <gasps> it's just dot points. Yeah. And, yeah, it's all, it's uh, all little things. And I'd buy a little packet of toothpicks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can, you've got that in the pantry. <gasps> Two little packets of toothpicks. <laughs> I could have unlimited toothpicks. Have Harry, my pick of the picks. Harry loves clean teeth. Um, Dave, bring it home. This is exciting. And hasn't heard of toothbrushing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get serious. Yeah, and on. name another person from uh, McLeod in the Australian <laughs> Capital Territory. I would like to thank Sam Edwards. Uh, Sam Edwards, of course, yes. famous for writing "If I Ate the Last Tim Tam." Oh, if. huge! Everyone's. <laughs> Everyone ex- suspected him. Everyone suspected I him. I hope but... people in the snack swap have, have been gifted some Tim Tams because they oh, are. Oh, yeah, I think they were the second biggest oh. one for the Aussie senders after Shapes. They are very A good. A very nice biscuit. Oh, yeah. Chocolate. Mm, good stuff. I ordered some stuff the other day because obviously we can only do online shopping and uh, it all arrived in a little box with like a single Tim Tam in its own little packet. And I was like, yes, it was the best bit of everything that I ordered was the free Tim Tam. Oh, free Tim Tam. It's fantastic. I ordered a donuts yesterday and one was peanut butter. Ooh, hello. It was so good. Yum. Wow. Yum. I haven't had one for a while. Remember we were talking about them not too long ago and I was like, Gotta get me donuts. <laughs> Gotta get me some donuts. donuts. I'm gonna get them and I'm gonna eat them. Oh, 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 oh. If, hypothetically. If, if, hypothetically. if I ate that donut. If I ate that I would like to thank from Waterfall in Ireland. What the heck? Beautiful. Waterfall in Cork, Ireland. Fantastic stuff. Cannot believe it. What and a that, spot. That what a name. name. Uh, the name is Laura Jane. Laura, Laura Jane. Laura Lane. Sorry, Laura Lane. Thank you so much. Misread that. Uh, <laughs> Laura Double Lane. Laura Lane. Uh, I, I met one of our live shows. I met an Irish woman named Laura. And I wonder if this is you. Wow. Her, she could be shown to Lala. Laura La La Land. La La Land. Oh, okay. If I hypothetically wrote the screenplay for La La Land. <laughs> That's, that's if a bit I hypothetically wordy. rigged the Oscars. <laughs> so. Yes. 
so that uh, the guy who played Dick Tracy would say La La Land and then look a bit foolish and make everyone cringe with their full bodies. Warren Beatty. Let's call it if I (laughs) Is that what he's famous for, Dick Tracy? He's famous for a lot of things. The Dick Tracy guy, Warren Beatty. He's in a lot of stuff. If I rigged the Oscars is That's good. a great title of a book. Yeah. If I rigged That's the Oscars. very good. Laura Lane, if I rigged the Oscars. Thank you so much. And waterfall. Oh, beautiful. In County Cork. That just sounds like a magic. Sounds place. heavenly. Oh my god. I'm gonna look it up. Thanks, Laura Lane. I would finally like to thank from London, another one of my favorite places in the world, Vivian Zhang. Vivian Zhang. I know we say this a bit, but is this the best crop of names we've ever had? These are really good names. I mean, Worrell from Wirral. <laughs> yeah, oh, nothing. Everyone. Oh my god, Dave! Fantastic. You just made a noise I've never heard from you before, and I loved it. <laughs> I just, I, a little cackle. laugh just whirled out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is a fantastic name, Vivian Zhang from London. Um, mm. All right. I know there's a, f- there's a few designers named Vivian and it just makes me think Vivian Zhang just sounds like a, a designer label. Okay. Yes. Do you wear Vivian Zhang? Oh, of course. No. Who are you wearing tonight? Vivian, Vivian Zhang. Of course. O- I'm not an idiot. OJ would say I wouldn't wear that and then we'd have photos of him wearing it the night before. Yep. I'm wearing VJ. What about you? <laughs> All right. Vivian uh, Zhang. What do you, the designer angle. Do you think there's something you can go with? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, if I was Banksy. <laughs> oh, yes. From London as yeah. well. Where on are you, Vivian? <laughs> Vivian's if I was Banksy. Banksy. That's a good Hypothetically. Uh, a good Hypothetically. If, if I was Banksy. Co-written by the Art Attack guy. <laughs> but I love the if is written really small, so it just says I was Banksy. It's like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Maybe You're Banksy. Not him anymore? Maybe Banksy is like the phantom, you know, and it sort of gets passed on. Oh, oh. Like, yeah. Or like Black Panther, same sort of or, thing. Or you know? the Pope. Or the Pope. <laughs> or like any kind of leadership, Puppy? yeah. <laughs> or the Pope. Yeah, they all pre- it's a slight difference with the Pope. I don't think everyone's going, wow, how has yeah, he lived so long? They all the same guy, right? It's called Pope. The Dalai Lama is sort of like that. It is the same soul or spirit, I believe. Oh, all yeah. Right? I don't know. Well, thank you for all those fantastic supporters who've been supporting us for over a year, each and every one of them. But now it's time to welcome a few people into the Triptych Club. This is the way we finish off our episodes by letting some people into the most exclusive club. And it's most exclusive because a lot of people have stopped listening by now. So only, <laughs> <laughs> only including the coolest us. people <laughs> are here. Now, that is not true. Uh, I've seen, surprisingly, most people listen all the way to the end, which I love. Um, there's stats we can see now. You believe that? Oh, that's cool. So, Or they uh, fell asleep two hours ago and uh, they're currently. <laughs> yeah, or they're in the car and their phone is out of reach so they can't exactly <laughs> skip ahead. So they're just like. Or they've accidentally pressed play and the Bluetooth speakers are in a different room. Yeah, very quiet. So they don't the know side. that it's playing. Well, it's not bothering while them. While their baby's like asleep in a cot in that room going, please turn it off. Shut it up. I'm no, trying the baby's to sleep. snoring within seconds. Oh, <laughs> my God. Those dulcet tones. So the way you get involved in this is just um, supporting us on the shout-out level on the Patreon for three years straight. And once you've done that, you get led into the Triptych Club. I lift up the little velvet rope. I've got a, I've got a door list here I'll read out. Dave's inside. 
hyping you up. He's our hype man. He'll give you a hype. He'll make oh, you feel yeah. good as you run into the room. You got to run in if you want to. No pressure. You can walk if you want or whatever you like. And then <laughs> Jess normally is behind the bar. I'm her offsider. Uh, so don't make it anything too tricky. I've tried the shaking <laughs> thing. <laughs> I can do a bit of that, but Jess comes up with a cocktail and we put it together and then there's some sort of hors d'oeuvres yeah. as well. Yep. Uh, any thoughts on that? Oh, and Dave also books a band. Oh, yeah. You want to know who got live this week? Yeah. We got Who's that? the magical voice of Celine Dion. Oh, my God. Oh, my Stop God. it. Used Gosh. to selling it when you come on me. Used to selling out is, Vegas every single. Yeah, that's, thank you so much for that, Celine. Um, <laughs> used to selling out Vegas every single night, but she's dropping by for a little a little club lounge set. Just her and a pia- yeah, wow. her and a piano player. That's it. Oh, stripped back. Stri- oh, stripped back. That. But she's still wearing a fantastic outfit. Of course. And is she playing other? Is she covering songs? Uh, sorry, Matt. No. Okay. <laughs> she's doing um, her own music. Sadly, <laughs> she could be talking out of it. <laughs> You have to pay extra to get her to play other people's songs. Um, all right. Well, that's great. Big star. One of the biggest Canadian stars of all time. Right up there with Terry Fox. Jess, what have we got behind the bar? Well, um, this week uh, we've got a couple of different drink options as well as all the others that we've already, you know, had. It's a, it's a, it's a full bar. But the specials this week are Mimosa, which is, of course, a bit of champagne and OJ. Oh, oh, a little tribute. Yeah, a tribute to a murderer. To the report. To the report, uh, I mean. To the report. To, the, to block. Come on. But we've also got, you know, it's, we're heading into warmer weather. It doesn't feel like it uh, the last couple of days, but we're heading into warmer weather. And so it's Pim's season, baby. So, oh, a big jug of Pim's. Yes, yeah, so and I've got a couple of different variations. got an orange and basil Pim's and a pomegranate Pim's. I've just oh. looked up cocktails. <laughs> that sounds, they both sound great. They sound delicious. Refreshing. Pims is summer. Yes. And because, you know, we're having summer drinks, we're also we're just chucking some food on the barbie. We've got oh, lots of yeah, salads yeah. and, you know, it's delicious. We're having a barbecue. Cherry tomatoes. Sure. In the salad. Yep. Oh, that's great. What I'm a, loving this. What weird, lettuce. What a weird thing to do. Is there lettuce in the salad? <laughs> I said we're having a barbecue. He said cherry tomatoes. Yeah. He said salad. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's lettuce. This was I know you don't make friends salad. with salad, but that's okay. I've got enough friends. <laughs> I love salad. Chuck a few snags on there as well. A bit of saucy, saucy and bread with sauce. Yum. Saucy sauce oh, and bread. I'm into it. All right. Well, let's welcome a few in. Dave, get your hyping pipes ready to go. <laughs> your hype pipes. All right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's warm, baby. Let's mm, go. Mm, welcome to so, the club. <laughs> these great supporters who've been supporting us for the last three years, welcome them in one and all. Firstly, from Adelaide, the city of churches, the city that never sleeps, apart from at nighttime. Adelaide, South Australia, welcome in Timothy Poulton. Oh, pulling a great crowd tonight, I see. Yes. Darn it. He's back Woo! from... Gothenburg in Sweden, I believe, Dave. It is Marcus Brisman <laughs> or Brisman. Oh, the Brisman is here tonight. High five. Really good. Yeah. Like a really good high five. Woo! Really good high five. I'm like, Woo. That's a really good high five. Because that's his love language. Yeah. High fives. I see. <laughs> from Wollongong, from the gong in New South Wales, Australia, it's Olivia Barnett. Oh, we are hitting no gongs tonight. We are sm- <laughs> smashing it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Woo! Yes. I'd also love to welcome in from, oh, I don't know this one. <laughs> it looks like Nunawal in the ACT, capital 
Territory of Australia. It's Matt Duncan. Oh, man, we slammed Duncan tonight. Yes. <laughs> Please tell me that was the last one because that is a... That was yes. the last one. Yes. Slam Duncan. Yes. See, Dave? See? You're great Just at this. Just got to believe. You are great at this. And you're their hype man. I'm your hype <laughs> Thank man. Thank you so much. Honestly, that really helped. That really helped bring the energy back. That was good, Dave. You were, you did hit good form there. Well Thanks, done. everyone. <laughs> I'm puffed. You keep your job. Oof. This has been a long episode. We're heading towards the time. I reckon this is an all timer in terms of length and quality. Great report, Matt. Oh, Thank you so much. Great way to report. kick off block. I reckon, I must say, I've seen OJ in the hat many times. I'm sure Jess has too. It yeah. seems like an overwhelming topic. You basically yeah. did it in, a, in an all night session. So hats off to you. Thank you so much. And luckily, because was... the report has gone kind of long, it's nearly your bedtime again. <laughs> You've stayed away. <laughs> You've nearly made it. <laughs> I definitely recommend if people have access to ESPN uh, to check out the the mini series, the documentary series Thirty for Thirty. Um, I think it's called Made in America, and um, yeah, there's. I mean, if. There's plenty of stuff out there if you want to watch more stuff. I'll put some links in the show notes, of course, to articles and documentaries you can watch. I watched one of those great uh, National Geographic low-budget ones as well. Oh, nice one. And it was really annoying because they kept going asking questions. Why did the prosecution uh. not do this? Hmm. And then they'd go on and they'd ask a question every minute and then answer all the questions at the end and that none of them were satisfying oh. answers. Uh, yeah, that's frustrating. But I, learned, I did learn a bit from the show, but, yeah. Anyway, why am I bringing that up now? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm you made it. it. You made it. Well done. I'm on top of the world, baby. All right. Get, Dave, boot us yeah, home. Uh, thanks, here, everyone, Dave. for listening this far. We do absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can always get in contact or find all the links to our stuff at our website, soon to be uh, renovated, if you will, but it's still looking pretty good right now. It's dogoonpod.com, and there's links to our Patreon. We can get all that bonus stuff. You can go to our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, our YouTube channel. Just look us up. Do go on pod on all that stuff. But until next week, yeah. we've got four more. It's going to be officially block, block, block for real, not block, block zero. Uh, kicking off next week, uh, I've got a report on the fourth most popular topic. So whatever that will be, I imagine it's going to be great. I imagine. Can't wait. Yep. I'm excited. But until then, we'll say thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.